Eric Von Crumley. And I'm Romy Reyes. Have you ever wondered how a book becomes a movie? Or how a movie becomes a musical? Or how anything is adapted at all? Join us as we talk about your favorite stories and all the changes that were made along the way. But more importantly, why? This is Willing to Adapt. Hi, welcome back to Willing to Adapt. I'm Eric Von Crumley. And I'm Romy Reyes. Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas. Unless you're listening to this in July for some reason, then happy July. (laughs) But this, welcome, this is our Christmas special episode. Yes. I'm really excited about this one. I think this was an episode from the very beginning. I said we have to do this at some point. And I agreed. (laughs) Because you had no choice. Pretty much. No, I'm just kidding. I did. No, I'm, I was excited to do this as well. And so, Do you want to tell them what it is? Today, we are going to be looking at Dr. Seuss's The Grinch. How The Grinch Stole Christmas. I don't have the book in front of me, so I don't know the title. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> uh, so today we are talking about the book, How The Grinch Stole Christmas, and how it was adapted into the TV special in the 60s, mm-hmm. and then how it was adapted into the 2000 movie with Jim Carrey. We won't be talking about the Benedict Bun... Bun- Whoa, the Benedict Cumberbatch version today. Uh, I don't know if this episode's super popular and people really want us to talk about that one. We'll talk about that one another day. But did, we didn't want this episode to be too long. Yeah. Did you see that one? I did. Okay. It's fine. It's not the best. It was kind of forgettable. Oh, interesting. All right. It had its moments. Kind of like the movie. Which movie? The one we just watched. The How the Grinch Little Christmas with Jim Carrey? Yeah. We'll get to that. You didn't like it? We'll get to that. Have you? Okay. You haven't seen this. Of course I saw it. I got. I did preparation for this. But you haven't seen it before this, right? <clears throat> no, I did not. That's shocking. <laughs> it's just weird. Not when you... So that I think it's been around for 23 years. Yeah, it has. But I, I, I'm known for not having seen a lot of popular movies. Apparently. Yes. Did you never... Have you never seen Titanic? No, I saw that. <laughs> I, I saw that one. No, there's, there's a lot of movies either during certain eras of my life because this came out what when when did the movie come out 2000 oh why did i not see you were barely out of high school so that's probably why to me i probably thought of it as a kid's movie and i just didn't if you had seen it you would realize it's not yeah no i I realize that now but yeah i love this movie as a kid though and i still love this movie it's probably the movie i quote the most often in my regular life really yes interesting my whole family we all quote this movie so often so i did a, a poll on this movie versus the, uh, I did 10, I talked to 10 people I knew and that was it. That's it. It. it wasn't okay. scientific. So it yeah. wasn't a great, so, no, it, it wasn't, wasn't, like, wasn't, it wasn't scientific. like Pew research over here. <laughs> no. So it was, I, I just cure out of curiosity. I, I asked five millennials versus five gen Xers, which one they preferred. And almost, I think it was actually a 50, 50, five and five gen Xers were okay with the movie. Some liked it. But they leaned towards the originals, whereas all millennials love the movie. Well, it depends on what you grew up with. That's exactly what it came down to. Yeah. But I, I know there are a lot of older adults who love the Jim Carrey version. No, yeah, I, I, they did like there were yeah. they did enjoy the movie. I didn't know Something, that there were say. people out there who did not like this movie until I started doing research for this. Yes, in fact, we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, no, I had one one person I asked who just didn't care for the movie at all he watches the cartoon every year we'll get to it i understand but we'll get to it let's not get ahead of ourselves (laughs) okay well today is a special episode like i said Mm -hmm. 
And I came up with the idea literally five minutes ago that um, because we usually do a synopsis of the source material, that instead of doing a synopsis, we'll just read the book because it's so short. And so you're in for a treat today. Unless that's something you're not interested in, then you can go ahead and skip ahead about two minutes. How about that? Go ahead. Go for it. Great. So, ladies and gentlemen, you know, get a take a seat, go get yourself some hot cocoa, whatever it is. We're recording this in September. <laughs> All right. This is Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve, hating the Who's, staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown at the warm, lighted windows below in their town, for he knew every Who down in Whoville beneath was busy now hanging a mistletoe wreath. And they're hanging their stockings, he snarled with a sneer. Tomorrow is Christmas. It's practically here. Then he growled with his Grinch fingers nervously drumming. I must find some way to stop Christmas from coming. For tomorrow boys would wake bright and early they'd rush for their toys and then oh the noise oh the noise 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 that's one thing he hated the noise 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 then the who's young and old would sit down to a feast and they'd feast and they'd feast and they'd feast 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 they would feast on who pudding and rare who roast beast which was something the Grinch couldn't stand in the least. And then they'd do something he liked least of all. Every Who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, would stand close together with Christmas bells ringing. They'd stand hand in hand, and the Who's would start singing. They'd sing, and they'd sing, and they'd sing, 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 sing. And the more the Grinch thought of this Who Christmas sing, the more the Grinch thought, I must stop this whole thing. Why, for 53 years I put up with it now. I must stop this Christmas from coming. But how? Then he got an idea. An awful idea. The Grinch got a wonderful, awful idea. I know just what to do. The Grinch laughed in his throat. And he made a quick Santa Claus hat and a coat. And he chuckled and clucked. What a great Grinchy trick. With this coat and this hat, I look just like Saint Nick. All I need is a reindeer. The Grinch looked around, but since reindeer are scarce, there was none to be found. Did that stop the old Grinch? No. The Grinch simply said, if I can't find a reindeer, I'll make one instead. So he called his dog Max. Then he took some red thread, and he tied a big horn on the top of his head. Then he loaded some bags and some old empty sacks on a ramshackle sleigh, and he hitched up old Max. Then the Grinch said, get up. And the sleigh started down toward the homes where the Who's lay a snooze in their town. All their windows were dark. Quiet snow filled the air. All the Who's were all dreaming, sweet dreams without care. When he came to the first little house on the square, 
This is stop number one, the old Grinchy Claus hissed, and he climbed to the roof, empty bags in his fist. And he slid down the chimney, a rather tight pinch, but if Santa could do it, then so could the Grinch. He got stuck only once, for a minute or two, then he stuck his head out of the fireplace flue, where the little who stockings all hung in a row. These stockings, he grinned, are the first things to go. Then he slithered and slunk, with a smile most unpleasant, around the whole room, and he took every present. Pop guns and bicycles, roller skates, drums, checkerboards, tricycles, popcorn and plums. And he stuffed them in bags, then the Grinch very nimbly stuffed all the bags one by one up the chimney. Oh, he says chimbly. Then he slunk to the icebox. He took the Who's Feast. He took the Who Pudding. He took the Roast Beast. He cleaned out that icebox as quick as a flash. Why, that Grinch even took their last can of Who Hash. Then he stuffed all the food up the chimney with glee. And now, grinned the Grinch, I will stuff up the tree. And the Grinch grabbed the tree, and he started to shove, when he heard a small sound like the coo of a dove. He turned around fast, and he saw a small who, little Cindy Lou who, who was not more than two. The Grinch had been caught by this tiny who daughter, who had got out of bed for a cup of cold water. She stared at the Grinch and said, Santa Claus, why? Why are you taking our Christmas tree? Why? But you know that old Grinch was so smart and so slick, he thought up a lie and he thought it up quick. Why, my sweet little tot, the fake Santa Claus lied. There's a light on this tree that won't light on one side. So I'm taking it home to my workshop, my dear. I'll fix it up there, then I'll bring it back here. And his fib fooled the child. Then he patted her head, and he got her a drink, and he sent her to bed. And when Cindy Luhu went to bed with her cup, he went to the chimney and stuffed the tree up. Then the last thing he took was the log for their fire. Then he went up the chimney himself, the old liar. On their walls he left nothing but hooks and some wire. And the one speck of food that he left in the house was a crumb that was even too small for a mouse. Then he did the same thing to the other Who's houses, leaving crumbs much too small for the other Who's mouses. It was quarter past dawn. All the who's still abed, all the who's still a snooze, when he packed up his sled, packed it up with their presents, the ribbons, the wrappings, the tags, and the tinsel, the trimmings, the trappings. Three thousand feet up, up the side of Mount Crumpet, he rode with his load to the tip-top to dump it. Poo-poo to the who's, he was grinchishly humming, they're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. They're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two. Then the Who's down in Whoville will all cry, Boo-hoo! That's a noise, grinned the Grinch, that I simply must hear. So he paused, and the Grinch put his hand to his ear. And he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. But the sound wasn't sad. Why, this sound sounded merry. It couldn't be so, but it was merry, very. He stared down at Whoville. The Grinch popped his eyes. Then he shook. What he saw was a shocking surprise. Every Who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. 
He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came! Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled three hours till all puzzler, his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And the minute his heart didn't feel quite so tight, he whizzed with his load through the bright morning light. And he brought back the toys and the food for the feast. And he, he himself, the Grinch, carved the roast beast. The end. Thanks for bearing with me. How'd I do? Good. Great. Yes. Moving on. Not Carl's Bar... Bar uh, Who? Carl's Bad? Carl's Borloff. Carl's Bad Caves? Yes, not gonna not Carlos. Boris Karloff. Carlos Carlos Barloff. Got it. <laughs> All right, you want to talk about Doctor Seuss real quick? The man. Yes, the legend. Theodore Geisel. 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 Yes. Okay, I have nothing on him. Really? Yes, I'm relying on your research. Oh well, I don't remember everything, but <laughs> okay. So Doctor Seuss, I'd be shocked if you didn't know who Doctor Seuss. If you didn't, didn't know anything by Dr. Seuss, he's so prolific. Yes. But his real name is actually Theodore Seuss Geisel. And he was obviously an American children's author and cartoonist. Mm-hmm. He's known for all of the, the work we just mentioned, as well as many other works like Horton Hears a Who and Cat in a Hat and other things. Um, <clears throat> he was born March 2nd, 1904 in Springfield, Massachusetts, America. Um, and he died on September 24th, 1991. I don't think we need to go too much into his career, except I I recommend watching... There's a documentary out there that came out in the early 90s, but it's like a really fun documentary with a ton of really famous people in it. It's called In Search of Dr. Seuss. Kathy Najimy is the, the main actress in it. She plays like a reporter trying to figure out the life of Dr. Seuss, basically. It's really good. I recommend... We can find it on YouTube. But I think the one thing that I, I knew about him that I found very, very interesting is he <laughs> he apparently he started going by Dr. Seuss because originally he was writing for his college newspaper in the 20s um, during the Prohibition. And he was going by Theodore Geisel. But what ended up happening is he was caught in his, I think, his dorm with some friends with some alcohol. But because it was the Prohibition, it was illegal. <laughs> And so he was kicked off um, the paper. And so in order to keep writing, he ended up writing under, I believe it was his mom's maiden name, which was Seuss. Oh, is that where the name? Okay. Yes. And so later on in life, um, he it ended up transitioning into Dr. Seuss mm-hmm. because um, I can't remember exactly why, but he ended up getting into advertising. Yeah. And in advertising, he would do cartoons. And there was something that in the advertising that... Um, had to do with something with health mm. and so he started going by dr seuss okay that's yeah there was something like that i have to look back into it again mm-hmm. but he did a lot of different cartoons and advertisements and then started getting book deals to do like children's mm. books and things like that 
I know he was very big in the war effort too. And all yes, that. Yeah. World War Two. I have, yeah. used to have a book on his world on the, the cartoons he drew for that era, but I don't know what happened to it. But he was very patriotic. That much. I <laughs> yeah, he, he's done a lot. He's done a lot that I've never, I never realized. Yeah, and he's always writing stories that have have morals and have to deal with like bigger life lessons, but in simplified ways of children can kind of understand them yeah i read i read somewhere but i didn't really look more into it that some of his early work was more moralistic than his latter work was he, his latter work more educational more, in, in his later years he actually became a little cynical oh okay yeah there's a couple of his books that got a little dark i can't remember which one it is but there's a book for kids mm-hmm. later in his life that has that basically is a uh an allegory mm-hmm. for um the cold war Interesting. So it, it has to do with like atomic bomb hmm. and stuff. It has like these na- these like neighboring countries that are fighting each other, and they keep coming up with with crazier weapons to outdo each other. I yeah, I, I know he had one similar to that. There was the ones where they were the was it the butter butter toast up versus the butter on the yes, bottom. Yes. But that one was more anti Hitler in its meaning. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of different yeah things he's done. Interesting. Yeah, um, he he wrote a lot of educational books because he found that a lot of educational books for kids were like really boring yeah. and not imaginative, mm-hmm. and they were like the the like Dick and Jane books, yeah, like see Spot Run mm-hmm. sort of thing. And he's like, "Well, I could do better than that." The whole point of this this episode is he wrote a book called How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Correct. And that book came out in. Um, October 12th, 1957. And as we, we read it for you, but I'll give you a very, very brief synopsis if you skipped or if for whatever reason we have to edit out my reading of the book. Um, it, How the Grinch Stole Christmas is a children's book and it's written in rhymed verse with illustrations by the author. It follows the Grinch, a cranky, solitary creature who attempts to thwart the public's Christmas plans by stealing Christmas gifts and decorations from the homes of the nearby town of Whoville on Christmas Eve. Miraculously, the Grinch realizes that Christmas is not all about money and presents. There you go. It's probably the most succinct and short summary I've read in a while. (laughs) Alright, so the story was published as a book by Random House in 1957, and it criticizes the commercialization of Christmas and the holiday season. Which I find interesting because I think that's something we still struggle with nowadays. Uh, I would say even more maybe than in the 50s. I, I think it's definitely majorly commercialized. Especially if you're a Christian. And you're <laughs> mm. <laughs> the way that the world interacts with Christ- with Christmas for sure. Mm-hmm. It's obviously been adapted many times. It's, it, did, it did amazingly well. Mm-hmm. Like Apparently everybody loved this book. But do you have any background information on the book that you want to talk about before we, we go too much into this? Uh, not really, no. <laughs> I know that one thing I was looking at is the, doc, the the Grinch is supposed to be kind of like a weird... Ins- I don't think it's supposed to be exactly him, but Dr. Seuss has said that the Grinch is a version of himself. Hmm. Because I think... Um, it was supposed to be December 26th, so the day after Christmas. Mm-hmm. I guess he woke up one day and he looked himself in the mirror. And he thought that he... I guess he said that he looked very Grinchy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so apparently um, the Grinch was a character from a previous book that he had written. 
but he like was selling string to people and he was like duping them into selling the string mm. and but um that was it like that was the only thing about it and then mm-hmm. he brought him back but it's important to say that whoville was also previously in another book in horton here's a who yes that i'm aware of yes and so he he what he did apparently is he um he wanted to write a book criticizing the commercialization of christmas in the time and trying to get people to see that christmas is more than the presents and everything mm-hmm. um but he didn't want it to be too preachy like he didn't want to just like shove morals down people's throats yeah um unlike the movie go ahead stop <laughs> go ahead now i lost my place he didn't want it to be too preachy if I had the lyrics of the, of the song from the animated movie or cartoon, I would sing them right now. Stop. That's not the lyrics. I know. I forget what they are. Fahu Forest Dahu Doris. <laughs> Who is Doris? Anyways. Okay, now I remember. He he wanted to remove it from our reality. Mm-hmm. and can he Because he didn't want there to be religious undertones in the book. Mm-hmm. And I think... I could be wrong, but I think that was because he was trying to reach a broader audience. Okay. And so what he did is he said it in the fictional place of Whoville. Because mm. he has real life people in his books. Mm-hmm. And he could have done it in this one. He just chose not to. Yeah. I just found that interesting. Like, And so in the end, he kept he kept trying to make sure that in the end it wasn't too much of like a, a Christian conversion. Mm-hmm. And so he was trying to think of ways that he could make this ending and so he he literally just ended it with him carving the rose beast and eating with them mm. in the feast he's like that'll do <laughs> yeah if you're going for a simple message sure that works yeah it's memorable mm-hmm. i just love the way he writes oh yeah no i lot yeah. i know i have a a friend who one time said that that's when he was trying to learn how to freestyle rap mm. he would actually use dr seuss and rap the lyrics the, the the words i hate that <laughs> <laughs> i i figured you would <laughs> so but if you are interested in rap that's uh, a good way to freestyling mm. you can start freestyling to dr seuss sure there's not a ton more to talk about the book unless you have other things you want to talk about the book nope um it's very simple it's mm-hmm. meant for children i mean it, adults enjoy it i enjoy reading it i mean i don't pick it up and read it all the time but <laughs> it's fun i think i think his illustrations are a lot of fun his the characters are memorable the mm-hmm. the rhyming is a lot of fun i find myself rhyming like dr seuss for a while after i've read him mm. like, like like when i was talking to you i said like like i have an idea like we'll have a nice present we'll read to the listeners they'll find it quite pleasant <laughs> Yes, I have heard you rap. Uh, not rap, but um, rhyme before. It's not rapping. No, it's not. I used the wrong word. Um, the other thing I noticed is the Grinch originally had no color. Exactly, yeah. he. Mm-hmm. Well, because in the book, it's just, it's like, what, okay, what's, what's black and white and red all over? The illustrations to this book. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and so it wasn't until the animated series when they colorized it because yeah. I think they had just switched over not too long ago to color. The TVs? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that was the big thing in the day, right? You know, like, that's why you had movies like, um, in when they did um, The Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. in the original book, it's the Silver Slippers. 
Yeah. But in, when they were making it for a movie, they wanted them to pop mm-hmm. because they just they literally just transitioned, I think, Technicolor or whatever it was. Mm. And so they said, well, the silver is not going to show up super well. Like, let's make them a brighter color. And so they made them ruby. Yeah. Which I like more. But I grew up with the movie, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it makes sense. But I think also they want him to stand out from the snow. Yeah. Like, if they had just made him gray or white he would he wouldn't have popped as much to be fair i mean green doesn't necessarily pop a lot but it does stand out from white Mm -hmm. and it definitely makes him stand out with the contrasting red yeah especially when you have the suit on yeah so it sounds like you want to move on to the first tv movie then Mm -hmm. got it all right do you want to introduce it or do you want me to introduce it the the first one was a animated short i Mm -hmm. guess Created in, interestingly enough, I forgot to put it, the year it was done. 1966. 1966. Yes. It was directed by Chuck Jones, who, those who may recognize the name, Chuck mm-hmm. Jones is most well known for the... Were they, were they Warner Brother at the time or were they MGM? It's Warner Brother. Looney okay. Tunes. Yeah, now they're Warner Brother and that's the Looney Tunes. All the uh, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck and all of them. And so apparently Chuck Jones and Dr. Seuss, Ted Geisel? Ted Geisel. Ted Geisel had worked together in uh, some training cartoons during World War II. They did, yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember coming across that. Yes. And so he was, I guess Chuck Jones had been interested in doing one of his books. But I think it's funny because they have very different animation styles. They do. And I, and I think, well, it wasn't because of that, but I know at the time I read that, I'll just call him Dr. Seuss. Uh, Dr. Seuss was very leery of doing something because i think something had he had something had done previously well he didn't trust people with adapting his works yeah unless he had creative control he didn't trust what people were going to do mm-hmm. but i think that's just fair and for the most part he really didn't do it he didn't allow it until until his well because he, he did a lot of he did a lot of tv movies mm-hmm. um other than that like that was it a lot of adaptations have happened since he died yes, yeah, yes. and we'll get to that so, oh, actually, I have it written right here. Is he had an unpleasant experience making the film The Five Thousand Fingers of Dr. T, which I don't know what that is. Mr. T? No, Dr. <laughs> T. This is, must be his uh, father. fool. And so, however, he eventually agreed, and they created under the MGM Studios, where Chuck Jones was uh, under contract It at was the time. on CBS. Yes. And so the reason the studios were really big on uh going forward with it was because of the surprise success of another cart uh christmas favorite rudolph the reindeer Reindeer? nope (laughs) charlie brown christmas oh man did that come out before it did jeez i didn't realize it was that old yeah and so they they, jeez yeah and at the time they gave them a budget that was four times bigger than what they gave for the charlie brown christmas Mm. so i mean at the time it was three hundred fifty. well i mean you kind of have to the charlie brown characters are so flat i know i mean it works for them but yeah which so a three hundred and fifteen thousand dollar budget back then was equivalent to two million four hundred you also have to remember this is 2d style animation and it can be expensive yeah like that's all they had but Mm -hmm. It's expensive. I think for every second of film when Mm -hmm. they're animating, I believe it's, I think it's four cells for every second. The background, the front. Well, because in order for it to not look... they're on top of each other. In order for it to not look blocky, Mm -hmm. like in the movements, you have to have, I think, four cell, animation cells. I could be wrong for the number. 
for every second. And mm. so it's a 25-minute film for TV. Yeah. So you do the math mm-hmm. for for every second, and there's, what, 60 seconds in a minute? I'm not doing math. I'm not doing the math right yeah. now either. But you get the idea, right? <laughs> like, a lot of work had to go into this. Yeah. And so, yeah, and so they had a bigger budget. And and as you mentioned earlier, Jones also wanted to make a Christmas special. He had to make a Christmas special without any of the typical elements. And so and one of the things in the in the cartoon is Santa doesn't appear. But he which I noticed he appeared in the movie in live action, but not in this one. Well, I he doesn't need to appear, but the fact that he dresses up as Santa insinuates that that they at least believe that he exists in the world and the other thing they couldn't they didn't have of course with any orthodox religion he wanted to keep it kind of non-religious like the original book and one of the one i thought was interesting was they they needed to in order to fill in the space they wanted to put in some or and to make it more lively put in some music and singing yeah well because the book literally would take maybe 10 minutes Mm -hmm. yeah and so to go along with the narration but they didn't want the carols to be classical Christmas carols because mm. most back, especially back then, they hearkened a lot towards uh, a religious background. Right. Yeah. So instead, you might have had "Baby, It's Cold Outside," but I don't think that would have worked. Yeah, no. And so instead, uh, they wrote, according to Chuck Jones, the they wrote their new carols in what they called Susian Latin, <laughs> and that's where "Fahu Fores Dahu Doris" yeah. comes in. What I like about the songs they made for this movie is the fact that Dr. Seuss wrote the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're so memorable. They are. Oh yeah. No, I found myself today yeah. humming yeah. that. But tune think about how difficult long. it would have been for Thurl Ravencroft to sing "You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch." Yeah, because those those lyrics are not easy. But he was he. But I mean, he went on from there to do a bunch of the other. You know, Tony the Tiger. Not just that, but I think uh, they well, called them back Thurl, to do Thurl, other. Thurl Ravencroft stuff. started with I think the Melman, their vocal group. But he he's done a lot of Disney work. Mm-hmm. He's the one of the singing voices in the Haunted Mansion. Okay, um, and he's done he does he does a lot. Oh, I, I can say I can hear that. Not mm-hmm. you say that. So real quickly, say his name again and Thurl, say who this he was. Thurl Ravenscroft. So he is the one who sings that most iconic song. And I know movie. what you're gonna say. You do. I don't even know what I'm gonna say. I'm making oh. it up as I go along. I was gonna say that in the original film he never got credit for singing it okay there i was gonna get to that later yeah. but yeah so he didn't which uh which... and he felt so bad that i don't know what you're are you, i, don't know I what was you're... gonna say that. okay go ahead okay. because no, no, no. i don't want to say his name and get it wrong geisel okay. geisel 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 just say dr seuss dr seuss i feel funny yeah. calling yeah. him that but that's what his name is on the book all right i'm gonna be a doctor dr seuss. seuss like wrote letters to like all the major publications saying this is the guy who sang the song please give him credit yes <laughs> yeah he did feel bad really bad about that Another thing I, I read about the animated uh, version. So when you read the book and you look at the illustrations, the Who's are basically Q-tips with little puffs of hair coming out. I, I'm kind of oversimplifying. In, in the book? In the book, yeah. They're not really... They look like weird mice type things. Yeah. And in the... But in the when he was doing the Who's for the animated uh, they version... They look a little bit more like people, right? They do. A little bit. And I read, actually, that he designed... Cindy Lou Who mm-hmm. to resemble the Grinch. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so in his mind, this is Chuck Jones. Sure. And so in his mind, he actually gave her, well, first off, he gave her a bigger, a slightly bigger role. Yes. And when he redesigned. I like that you see her early. Yes. 
that he actually had more that they cut out. Oh really? Yeah, and uh, I he, I didn't read what they were that he cut out, but that it, they, it, it in the I think it was actually on Wikipedia I read it. He said um, they 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 said that his heart they broke Joan's heart by cutting pairing her role down in the or maybe they didn't cut it out but they pared it down in the rewrites I guess, and that in his mind, Cindy Lou Who was the great granddaughter of the Grinch in appearance. Interesting. Yeah. Now. Now, I don't know if it's blood, great-granddaughter, but at least in appearance. That was his... He wanted to show a potential, possible connection between the two. And so, uh, let's see what else. Mm-hmm. He also talked... Oh, this is kind of going back to what you were saying. Before, it took 11... The, to No, it took about 14 months of production time. And there were 15,000 drawings and cells. 250 background layout drawings. 1,200 character layout drawings and they had 60 musicians working for 8 hours in order to finish it. Mm. So uh, I wonder what happened to the other what? 40 minutes of music? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it was for a bigger version. The original broadcast they for the most part they read the narration was the book's text mm-hmm. even though they did some slight embellishments uh, that were adapted. It, was just, it expanded it a little bit. That was that was really it. But yeah. everything everything said is basically what's from the book, mm-hmm. except the songs, of course. Right. And but and but even those, at least you know, those were written by Dr. Seuss, mm-hmm. so they they feel like they really fit. Yes. And, and I, I like um, that you get lyrics. Yeah. No, I I, yeah. I like that too. That, it, yeah. it and, added a lot. And something that somebody was somebody was saying is when people think about Dr. Seuss and how the Grinch stole Christmas. They don't really think about the book. They think about the special. Mm-hmm. It's it's you. It's like overpowered the popularity of the book, and and so like it's played every Christmas. And it's not like people are not reading the book, but when pe- people are more exposed to this special, mm-hmm. and so when people think about the Grinch, they think about this. Yes, yes. And the one thing that that we talked about earlier that came from this adaptation that has stuck in all uh, subsequent adaptations is the use of the color green for him versus the two-tone of the original white in the original book. So, And the special was released, as you said, in the 60s. And this was essentially what I think many would consider the golden age of children's Christmas specials. (laughs) Uh, It was when Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Charlie Brown Christmas came out right before it. I knew that... Rudolph had been around this time. Yeah, Rudolph was a couple years before that. And then afterwards was The Little Drummer Boy, Frosty the Snowman. I always loved the like, stop-motion animation style. <laughs> I know some people get freaked out by it today, some kids. And then uh, Santa Claus is coming to town. It's because they weren't exposed to it early enough. Yeah, it's true. That's true. And it was it's considered by critics to be a classic. And actually, at the time, it was compared favorably with all the other ones that were coming oh, out. Oh, it did. It's, it, it has always done remarkably well. Yeah. In fact, it was shown, I think, for a while, every year yeah. at Christmas time. It still is, I think. It is. And I, I read a little bit about all the different, yeah, where it's come, you know, different channels Yeah, and I stuff. think the biggest, dif- like, besides what you said, you know, adding the songs and we mentioned expansion and turn, turning them green, I think the biggest differences between the book and this one is it really... It shows more of Whoville, I think. Yes. Um, you, and you get to see more of like how the Grinch does what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, in, obviously like in the book, it's a kid's book, so you don't need to really embellish it. But in the episode, they, you, they show more of it, like how he actually yeah. steals things and he slithers through toys mm-hmm. and things like that. So they made him a little, 
like he's definitely angry he's definitely evil looking for most of the film but he's also kind of quirky yeah in like how he does things like you you get to see when he's complaining about the noise Mm -hmm. like this is the one thing about the (laughs) about the movie i laughed at when i watched it the other day because i hadn't seen this in years i hadn't seen the animated version since maybe a decade I've seen clips of it since, but not in its entirety. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I remember loving the sequence with the kids getting the toys and playing with them. Oh, okay. And as an adult, I was I felt like the Grinch, like, this is too much noise. This is too much chaos. I can see you. <laughs> you have turned into a Grinch. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I wasn't trying to rob them of it. because <laughs> <laughs> you're becoming an old man. <laughs> it's too loud. Too loud in here. I must stop this from happening. <laughs> uh, the other thing I noticed was... Um, I liked watching and pinpointing. I never thought of it as a kid, but this time when I re- I watched it twice this last week, and looking for the Chuck Jones animation stylistic, oh, you know, so much. Yes, so, like definitely the Grinch. Mm-hmm. The the it, there's a okay. I watched a documentary. <laughs> I was talking about the making of this. Doctor mm-hmm. <laughs> Seuss was talking about. Um, when they were making the Grinch look the way he looked, because he mm. looks different. Yeah. Even in like the style, you can tell it's the Grinch, but even in the style, it looks different from the Grinch from the book. Okay. Um, in the book, he looks more like he has a bean head, a little bit. That's true. Yeah. In the animation, it's a bit more fleshed out, and it looks more like a, maybe like a gourd. Hmm. Um, which I guess doesn't mean anything, but. Um, like he, his facial features and everything definitely look different and um, I guess when Chuck Jones showed the drawing of the Grinch to Dr. Seuss mm. he, Dr. Seuss says well it doesn't really look like the Grinch it looks like you that's funny <laughs> and, then, and then Chuck Jones said that happens sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah no the animation was different in fact in my mind I felt like the movie, the live action version, the '66 version, was no, oh, no live oh, action oh, okay. was an adaptation of the animated. We'll get to that more so we'll than it was of the book, yeah. yeah. And so the other thing that was uh, for me a big thing is the voice, the narrator, and the voice of the Grinch, Mister William Henry Pratt. What? The voice actor, the narrator. What are you talking about? The narrator of the Grinch of the for the, the animated Grinch, one for the animated one, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. It's Boris Karloff. Also known as, professionally, as Boris Korloff. Yes. His real name is William Henry Pratt. No one knows that. That's why I said it, because I wanted to throw the audience off. Except those few of you who know that, but now everyone does. So, so he confused. was a, an English actor most famous for... Which film? Which set of say Frankenstein? Yep. He also Frankenstein did Hunchback of Notre Dame. And The Mummy. He was in... in did he do Dracula 2? Imhotep? He did no. Dracula 2, didn't he? Did he? I thought so. I didn't see that in his... I know Bela Lugosi did it, but I think there's a version where it's Boris Karloff. I'll have to check that. I don't think so. I think he did one of the ones where it was like um, um, like Laurel and Hardy meet... Oh, yes. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. He did He did do some of those uh, later on. Yeah. It was the Abbott and, Abbott and Costello. Abbott and Costello. That's what it was. Not that was actually pretty funny. Yeah. I remember seeing that. And <laughs> I personally... <laughs> Love those era of movies. I love. I liked a lot of the stuff Boris Karloff was in. Thirties and forties. Thirties, yeah, and forties. You know, Arsenical Lace. I think was one of my first mm, movies. I that's was. A, that's a good play. I've never seen a play, but I've seen the movie. Uh, I mean, and it's basically the same thing. It yeah, just, it's it embellished. And he was in both. 
And he worked with greats like Lon Chaney, Bella Lugosi, as we said, Lawrence right. Olivier. All the names that all the young people don't know. Peter Loria. If you're listening to our show, you probably or to our podcast, you probably know who these people are. Basil Rathbone, well, Sherlock Basil. Holmes himself. Basil Rathbone, Sherlock Holmes himself. You know I'm not good with names. Apparently. Yes. <laughs> and so I thought it was interesting because Fun fact. I don't know why they chose him outside of the voice and because he was tied to this stuff. But I did find out that he was known at this point for already doing children's narration and he, audiobooks. From the, audio what I found, I could be wrong. I, I think what I remember is they only ever really considered him. Mm, okay. I think they just loved his voice. Like he was such a prolific actor, mm-hmm. but I think at that point in his career, like he wasn't doing much anymore. Yeah, and I think they just really loved how he talked. Mm-hmm. And I could be wrong; it's been a while since I I read this somewhere, but I I I remember properly because he narrates the movie, but he also is the voice of the Grinch. Correct. Yes, and you might have found it too. But I think what I found somewhere is when they did the recordings, they like purposefully took out all of the higher inflections from his voice when he played the Grinch. Mm, okay. So it differentiated between the two, but it mm. also gave the Grinch more of a sinister sound. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of fun. It is, it is, and and uh, th- like yeah, th- and you're right because at this point he had already moved a little bit away from. I mean, he he was older, and mm-hmm. so uh, he Before was doing audio recordings for Shakespeare, and uh, he did Peter and the Wolf and some others. But yeah, like I said, he also did uh, fairy tales, and uh, he's just got one of those voices you hear it and you know it. Yeah. And one of them was like he did uh, Tales of the Frightened for Children. So he was kind of you already love known. The 60s. I know. <laughs> the Hunting of the Snark, stuff like that. The 60s were basically in preparation for the 80s. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, nobody. We really... will scare your children. <laughs> 70s were kind of. Looking at you, secret nymph. Black cauldron. <laughs> and so the other thing I was going to mention is how a lot of people, we mentioned earlier that, what was the name? Thurl? Ravenscroft. Thorough Ravenscroft. He did the the he's that's the only part that Boris Karloff did not do, even though a lot of people thought he had done it, and they still make that mistake to this day. It, they're just not paying attention. Yes, they're not. Yeah, you can tell it's a different voice. It's well, kind of like watching my. I mean, technically, you know, they have the voice of Cindy Lou Who and Max. Yes. Yes. And I don't know who did. I know. I know Dallas McKinnon played Max. I just. I'm looking at it now. That's why I know. <laughs> but I don't know what else they've done, and I don't care to look it up right now. No. But in I, the movie. In the. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the of the live action. I was thinking of a different name. Nope. Yeah. Um, but the voice actress who played Cindy Lou Who in the animation mm-hmm. is June Foray, mm-hmm. and she was the voice of um, Rocky and Rocky and Bullwinkle interesting yeah actually i can hear it now that you mention it <laughs> so and of course he liked he enjoyed the i know he he was a he was real big into christmas boris karloff he would uh often at least in the starting i think that i read somewhere like in the 40s he would dress up as father christmas and mm-hmm. go hand out presents to physically disabled mm-hmm. children where he lived <laughs> oh yeah not, not santa claus father christmas it's different very different yes they look different too. Mm-hmm. I know. I remember reading somewhere. Someone said that it's interesting how popular this book is because for the time it was the. F- I think they said it was one of the first books about Christmas from the point of view of a villain. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And so he also received a Grammy award, not for the animated cartoon. Well, that's kind of redundant, is it? Not for the cartoon, but for 
the recording that came out later oh, on in the commercial release. The, the recording did so well. Mm-hmm. Got it. That he received a Grammy for it. It was the only yeah. award, I guess, that he ever Well, got. you have to remember, at this time, if you if you didn't watch it on TV, you missed it. And yeah, that's it wouldn't true. be back until maybe next year if it did well. Mm-hmm. And like if there was a demand for it, but if you missed it, you missed it. Like you couldn't record it back then. Yes. And and so what companies would do, like Disney and other people, is they would come out with vinyl recordings, like where there were versions of the movie, and they would tell the story of the movie. And so the the version you're talking about had the songs, but also had the the reading. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think it's something that a lot of um, I've even read that even in in, in England, the BBC. Mm-hmm. A lot of there's a handful of things that are popular now that they don't have video of anymore or recordings of anymore because they were destroyed. And so all they have left are the audio recordings of it. Oh, wow. And that's how uh, the people who who fondly remember these things, they they have access to that, but they, they no longer have the actual video of it anymore. Yeah, it used to be common practice in at least Hollywood, but probably other places too, is if, especially if the movie did not do well, um you wouldn't save the film you you it would just get trashed or it would get yeah. re, it would get reused or destroyed mm-hmm. they, they it takes a lot of space yeah this was before for and and some of our younger a, audience pre digital age will not know, might not know what reruns are but this oh, was yeah. before reruns yeah there but was no, no such it's thing before at the time. it's before reruns but it's also before you could record it that's mm-hmm. what i mean like you you missed it i i found that there were actually some people who found a way to record some of the old shows but they were wealthy and i can't well, remember yeah. how they did you would it. have to like you'd have to have like an early camcorder and yeah. you'd have to have like a reel-to-reel mm-hmm. and, and that's like how they you did could it. have done it but you had to have money mm-hmm. yeah definitely like joe schmo couldn't do it nope nope not like today where you most people in, most people in the 60s like didn't really have projectors and stuff no. like it was more common than it was before that but yeah yeah so that's pretty much all I have for the animated. I, this is really random. It's, I don't know why I want to end on this one, except that it's the only place I could think of to do it now. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were talking about the music, mm-hmm. for the, I mean, how how popular is your Mean One, Mr. Grinch now? Like, there's so oh, yeah. many versions of it. It's so popular. Mm-hmm. It's such a good song. It's been covered forever. My favorite song in this, though, is um, Trim Up the Tree. That is a good one. Yeah. It's my very favorite one. I love that song. I don't think it gets enough airplay. <laughs> I will play I will play it at work. <laughs> but um the mus- the man who wrote the music, Albert, I believe it's pronounced Haig. Um he is on record for saying he loves that this song is so popular mm-hmm. because it's basically a polka. Yeah, or I read Square Dance, but yeah, yeah. Polka. Well, in his words, I read I read online it's okay. like Square Dance, but in his words, he said Polka. That's funny. Yeah, and it, I, I mean, if you listen to it, it, it kind of is. It does have, yeah. That, that it's like it's the sound. only Christmas Polka song that's popular. <laughs> you mean there's other Christmas Polka? I, I, I'm sure there are. <laughs> now I'm going to go searching for that after we're done. You might find them in Wisconsin. <laughs> All right, you want to move on? Yep. Let's move on to the live action. Great. So let's let me preface this with we talked about how Dr. Seuss was very protective of his works. He really did not like people making adaptations of his works and he he only really did TV specials mm-hmm. and only when he had creative control. Yeah. Which I get as a 
as a creator and artist and whatever. Um, but after he died, his wife at the time, who was his second wife, Audrey Geisel, I guess she thought a little differently. <laughs> she she was um, definitely more okay with people using his work, but she was similar in that she also wanted creative control. Mm-hmm. Um, and she knew what his works were worth. So she was a shrewd businesswoman, I shall say that. Um, Audrey Geisel, she, not too long after Dr. Seuss had passed, she basically went shopping around to different um, studios because she knew that people would want to do Dr. Seuss's works. And so she kind of got a jump on it. And she went to all these different studios and she said that she would allow them to do an adaptation of How the Grinch Stole Christmas if, um, I think it was, if she would get, was it $5 million for it? Yeah, I read somewhere about a percentage yes. she wanted. And But on top amount. of that, she also wanted a percentage of the box office, and she mm. wanted a percentage of the merchandising, Wow, and so on. Yeah. So And I was like, wow, that's a smart woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, why not? Yeah. But <laughs> but it also shows you how willing Hollywood was to, to do it. Yeah. Because it definitely has happened many times. Um, and some are better than others. I, I think they all have a place in my heart. I think some of them are more of a, it's so bad, it's good. Mm. I'm looking at you, Cat in the Hat. I've never seen that. <laughs> you're you're going to hate it. Really? <laughs> we should talk about it. All right. We should do that, that one. We should do the one just because it's so I did. Cr- I did read, I was reading an article, I can't remember about what, it was about children's literature, and someone referenced briefly Dr. Seuss, and they, they basically said the Cat in the Hat movie caused... Dr. S- uh, Dr. Seuss to roll in his grave, <laughs> but the Grinch caused him to, uh, how the Grinch stole Christmas caused him to roll back the other way or something like that. So they, they. Except that this one came out first. Yes. Yeah. All right. So I. We have a lot to read. <laughs> this one I think is the one we're going to talk about the most. <laughs> Probably. All right. Let's start off with. Um, we didn't. Okay. So. Before we move on to this, I guess, did you like the animated one? Oh, I love the animated one. Yeah, I love the animated one. I watch it every year. It's great. I mean, I have no problem with it. I watch it again right now. Did you like the the live action version? So, when I, first off, I should say that I'm not a big Jim Carrey person. Well, then you automatically would just hate this movie. Not necessarily, because he was a lot more toned down. So, oh. Yeah, like I'm not. I mean, I guess compared to like Liar Liar. True, true. I actually enjoyed Liar Liar. But you have to think also, part of the reason why he might. I don't think he's toned down. But if he is toned down, you have to consider it's because he's under miles of makeup and body true. prosthetics. <laughs> he's weighed down. Oh, yeah, no. And, and I read. Did the... you read that he had to yes. get like the CIA like torture? Um, like the guy to help him? Like. Well, yeah, he would get so angry and, yeah. and stuff because it was like over two hours of makeup and, and they stuff. They had to talk with him just because of his temper. Yes, yeah. like he and so the he Ron Howard, the director, got a CIA um, guy who was trained on how to withstand torture mm-hmm. to come and talk to him and give him tips, mm-hmm. like breathing exercises and and I can't really say he's like I think he said like hit something as hard as you can. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah, I, I did. I read a little bit about that about yeah. how when he he would 
with the beginning when they would put the makeup on him for what two hours three hours yeah and he gets so angry leave and then they come back and like everything was destroyed costume, yeah pretty much that he had torn it off i can't imagine and, just sitting in a chair for two hours mm-hmm. while people were prodding on me yeah it, and he's done it multiple times he's done other movies like he did a series of unfortunate events mm-hmm. where it was probably not as bad but still there's a, a unrelated connection but only has to do with Cor- boris karloff <laughs> i read this while i was reading about him so it's ironically the torture he had to go through for putting on all that makeup and the prosthetics and everything. Bo- uh, that was actually something that Boris Karloff was very well versed in because of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And so he was one of the early, I guess, founders of SAG screen actors, Gat mm-hmm. Guild. And that was one of the things that he fought for was for representation and for just the, what they actors had to go through under the makeup and all that when they, he had to sit for like two hours while they did the Frankenstein and all the other stuff with him. Anyway, this random connection that just popped into my mind. <laughs> sure. So, with the with the movie as I was watching it so okay well actually let me go back to uh, with what's his name Jim Carrey sure I'm not like I remember when Pet Detective and what was and Dumb and Dumber came out and I know oh, I hate Dumb and Dumber I do too I, I cannot stand Dumb I, and Dumber. I it was okay watching it the first time I chuckled a few times you know I like it better than Seinfeld I even it's one of those movies I never really watched when I was younger because mm-hmm. it was never really on yeah and so I would only get bits of it, and I think that contributes to why I don't like it. Okay. Because I even as a kid, I watched Liar Liar. I didn't get half of it, but I liked it because he's goofy. What about the Pet Detective one? I saw those as a kid as well. Did you like I it? I did not get half of it as a kid. Okay. It's very sexual. Uh, and so I saw them but as... I liked it. I'd like it. I, I, I think I saw them as either a teen or an early adult. I don't remember you when had it came out. You were at that time. Pet Detective came out in like the mid-90s. So okay, then I would have been a teen. And that's, it's just not my humor. I, and I know, I don't know about well, he's our very audience, goofy. but... He's He's a lot of body, like, humor. Yeah. A lot of, um, he's very exaggerated. Um, he, he improvises a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I like him because I can't think of anybody like him. Like, he, he just, <laughs> he's just got so many Jim Carrey-isms, you know? Yeah, no, and there's certain aspects in which I like when he was in that show. Was that that weekly show where he played the fireman? What fireman Bob in Living Color? That's what it was. Oh, this is old. Yeah, and so when he was in that, I remember watching scenes here or there, watching episodes, and I and I enjoyed aspects of his comedy. Yeah, but in general, I'm not. He, a, he just they, got crazier over time. Though. He did because his not, '80s stuff and it's kind of dumb comedy. And I'm just not into, I know this will, maybe I don't know about our audience, but I know a lot, most people I bring up the Jim Carrey movies that he's done in the early years and they love them. And I just kind of nod my head and say, oh, that's cool, you know, not my cup of tea. And so immediately that turned me kind of off to the movie, <laughs> knowing that he was in the title role. And then when the movie started and I started seeing the underlying message of the movie, that also started turning me off once again, even more so to the movie. Well, before you say that, let me give all the boring information. Okay. <laughs> so this version was directed by Ron Howard and it stars Jim Carrey, Taylor Momsen, Jeffrey Tambor, Christine Baranski, Bill Irwin, and Molly Shannon. It um, has music by James Horner and it was released in November 8th of 2000. 
Um, it's a Universal Pictures, and they have milked it every Christmas ever since. <laughs> I believe they play it with the animated. They kind of use them. They do side usually, side, yeah. yeah. I think it's mm-hmm. one over than the other, yeah. Just surprising, since I've never seen it until this yeah. weekend. It was the very first full-length feature film mm-hmm. based on a Dr. Seuss book, mm-hmm. and it was the first of only two live actions, the other yes. being Cat in the Hat. Mm-hmm. There you go. Oh. That's it. <laughs> That's the boring more. stuff. So, well, so and, and so okay. Now that you've done the boring stuff, well, okay. Well, screenplay written by Jeffrey Price and Peter S. Seaman. There you go. Though I did read that. I think I read somewhere that they had multiple. Like it took them. There was like forty-eight scripts they did or something. And did it the yes, the, the widow had to have a sign off on it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, she did. Because remember, she wanted some. She wanted input on the creative control. Yeah. And I will say right now, there's. I don't know if this is going to get me in trouble. <laughs> There's some stuff that uh, that they had cut out that she specifically asked to be cut out or down to mm-hmm. be not as bad. And some of them were a little sexual. So yeah. I'm, I'm okay with that. But there was... Uh, I hate that I think this is funny, but I also think it's funny. So I don't care. <laughs> there was a joke. I don't know if you stumbled onto it. When he's robbing everybody from all their Christmas stuff. Oh, the... He, he the, goes into a house. The Hustines? And, and he, there's no tree, and yes. there's no decorations, and he's confused. <laughs> and he's looking around, and he comes across the family name, and it's Hustine. Yeah. <laughs> I did re- come across that one. I, I Honestly, I don't think it was... I, I think it would have been fine. I, I, I do, too. I think it. I think even the Jews would have found it funny. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, actually, most of the most people I know, the Jewish people I know would have... Well, my sister-in-law's father is a funny. Messianic Jew, and... And he thinks those things are hilarious. That's funny. <laughs> but there's different, definitely things that she had input in. And so before you talk about messages and things, um, when she was going and trying to sell this to different studios mm-hmm. and turning down a bunch of studios, um, she, Audrey Geisel, um, actually put out to them that mm-hmm. she wanted actors, either these actors or actors just like these actors. And... Or else they weren't going to make the film, basically. And it oh, was okay. Jim Carrey, Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams. Oh, yes, I did read something. And like that. Darn it, who was the, the other one? I don't remember the last one. But she said it was because they were the ones who could pull off, like, the most... Like, who could pull off the character of the Grinch the best because of, like, the way that they can express themselves with their body and, yeah. and their humor. Yeah. Which I think is funny because Dustin Hoffman, I wouldn't necessarily think as super funny. That movie would have been so different if they had used Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> Could you imagine? He would have been more. I'm just picturing He Rain would have Man. been a lot more like the original, I think. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I'm picturing a Rain Man. He definitely version. would not have been as comedic. No, no. That no. is, yeah, it is an interesting one to. to and, choose. and like, I can't imagine Robin Williams either. But the, it's hard because I'm so used to Jim Carrey doing it. I think I actually picture Robin Williams in the role loosely. Just because of... I, I feel like I could. Like, I can wrap my brain around it. A lot it. better. I mean, a lot easier than uh, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. And there was a fourth one, but I don't remember... I remember the fourth one being so confusing that I'm like, okay. <laughs> but clearly, I didn't remember it. But but no, there's... Def- like, I guess from the get-go, from the early 90s, like, Jim Carrey was a runner for this. Like, okay. And so, like, I, I guess they needed him. Mm-hmm. And he loved it. Like, he wanted to do it, obviously. And it, it was kind of a nightmare. But you also have to consider it was really tough on everybody else because everybody else had to wear prosthetics too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like they were talking about how it felt like they were suffocating because they couldn't breathe from their nose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
No, I, I agree. I agree. I, I the things you do for your art. True. And so before you know, actually, I wasn't going to go on to the message aspect yet. I was going to continue just wrap up my 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 thoughts about it. Mm-hmm. We, should, it was my we should first talk time. about the differences because I have a whole website I'm going to quote. That's <laughs> <laughs> not a copyright thing. So no, I'm going to give them credit. Okay. And so real quickly to wrap up my, my it's not much longer. So yeah, I, when I was, when they started the movie, the whole, the, the under, underlying tones and messages kind of started turning me off. But like the Grinch, I had a change of heart Aww. as it continued on. So it may not be my favorite uh, it's not necessarily something I'm going to watch every Christmas. Oh, I, I watch. I will watch it now. I will watch it any time of the year. Yeah, I, a lot of people are in that boat, especially considering how horribly it, it did in reviews. Well, it's it was very a, a classic. It was a lot of critics didn't like it, but they praised Jim Carrey. But a lot of people liked it. Yes, which is we find in movies a lot these days, especially uh, happens. So in the end, well, sometimes for the worse, that's true. In the end, I actually liked the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I got over my, the issues that I had with it in the beginning. I still have, is- I still, those are still issues that I, I have against it, but as a whole, as a work of art and for a product of its time and what it was trying to do, I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. I will say this. Especially as an adult and having taken like script writing classes and mm-hmm. things like that, learning to write just in general, you you watch the live action version of How the Grinch Stole Christmas and you realize this movie should have failed. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why this movie should have done as well as it did and still does as well as it does. Yeah. And if you look at it, and this is why I like the movie, mm-hmm. it took a lot of chances and yeah. I think that's a lot of that's what modern Hollywood does not do. Oh yeah, no, definitely. They play it safe too in too many ways, mm-hmm. and they lean too much into what is like in the zeitgeist. Definitely, I agree with you on that. Yes, but if you look at this, it's <laughs> they they had to go through a ton of rewrites, obviously. But if you look at what they came out with, mm-hmm. it stays true to the source material. It has the heart of the story. The skeleton of the story is still there, mm-hmm. and what's important in the story is still there. And I think that's what's key, mm-hmm. because then they can play around with everything else. Yes, but they literally there's so many things that I'm just like, how did you think of this? Mm-hmm. Like, where did this come from? Because it is so out of left field. Yeah, but and that's why I like it because they weren't afraid to take those chances and and just to be a little random and different and. And make bold choices, I should say. I like it when people can make bold choices mm-hmm. if they make sense to the story in some way. I, di- I didn't write it down, but I, I remember reading that one of the one of the men attached to it was actually um, had been had worked on the one we did the last podcast, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm. So yeah, it's... it was one of the writers. Was that who? It That's is? why okay. I recognize the name. One of the writers uh, okay. of Roger Rabbit wrote, wrote helped co-write mm-hmm. the script. And and I'm I'm curious. I mean, he just with you saying that, and then going back to our last podcast with that on Roger Rabbit, and making the bold choices and changing exactly. the story. And... I could see now how that how that yeah. transferred over to his next this project. Yeah, and I think to be fair, we have not seen these scripts at all. So I don't know how much of the script was original to them and how much they mm-hmm. doctored. But, oh, okay. Because I think they went through different writers until they got to them. Yeah. But. To be fair, you're adapting it, so mm-hmm. 
it has to at least have the form of the original. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess there were a lot of different ways they wanted to go with it until they got to this. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't want to go into too much detail on like how they did the costumes and, and, and the sets and stuff. But I will say, if you're trying to make your world look like it's from a Dr. Seuss book, they have done it. <laughs> that they did. It, and I think what helps the most... And I, I, oh my gosh, I wish I could have been in the designer's room for this. <laughs> I think it would have been so much fun because there's so much in this movie. Mm-hmm. Even now, like, I feel like I want to pause it every second just to see everything in the background because there's the designers had to do so much. Like, there is no caution that ever repeats. Hmm. I never think about that. <laughs> like, it's, and like that. all the set pieces and everything are so different mm-hmm. from each other. And it looks like you just entered into Whoville, literally. Yeah. Well, they had to set up for the longest time and milk that at Universal it did, Studios. It did, and part of it's still up, but it it had. This is what I like about this: they did have CGI, they did mm-hmm. use some blue screens and stuff, but they didn't rely on it solely. Yeah, and that's what I that's what I like about most movies. Mm-hmm. And and they use so many stages for this, mm. and they you look at behind the scenes, they literally built like a mountain. Wow, and and they literally built a town square. Wow, and yeah. Like so many, like so many of it was literally built, and I think I think it's so cool. It's funny how you you tend to watch before our podcast. You do a lot of your research on YouTube, don't you? I, I read on online, but I also watch stuff on YouTube. I never think about going to YouTube to look for stuff. It's funny. It's a, a generational difference here. Maybe I will have to start doing that. Well, because you never know what's on there. I just forget about. I mean, I go to YouTube, but it I'll forget about it for like half a month before I remember. Sure. Oh yeah, I have videos I, I do both. to watch. I do both. Yeah, no, I don't. I know you do. But it's just, I don't think about YouTube. But anyway. um, Because you're old. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I am. I actually just celebrated a birthday. You say your Earth Day? Birthday. Got it. Yes. So I'm now another year older. At the time this comes out, how many months? Three months will have passed. Ugh. (laughs) Getting in early. Oh, just kidding. It's actually Christmas. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. The snow's falling (laughs) outside. All right, um, but yes, I love. I just like that they made so many artistic choices, and mm. and I. Okay, this is there's some things that I could not find the answers to. Okay, I'm just gonna say that straight out. Mm-hmm. There's some things I cannot find the answer to, but from a design standpoint, in my research, and from a writing standpoint that I've researched, there's some I have a hypothesis. Okay, and I I believe in them. <laughs> so. There's some things they did in this film. You can't have a two-hour film, even an hour and a half film, based off of a, based off of like a ten-minute book, right? Like yeah. You, and even if you're basing it off of the animated film, which you said, and I agree, they because the the animated version is so much in the zeitgeist, it's so popular mm-hmm. that you kind of have to pull things from it. Yeah, because people expect it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have no problem with that. Especially because it's, it's just covered in Dr. Seuss's th- fingerprints. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even still, the original, the, the the animated film is only 25 minutes. So they add another hour to that for a full length, right? And so, yeah, they did. So you have to expand on it. You have to... Where are you going to flesh that out? Like in... 
in the animated one, they fleshed it out a little bit and they padded it a little bit with Max. Like they they added some comedy moments with Max trying to pull the sleigh, and they showed how the Grinch did his 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 evil deeds and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But for a full length film, film, you have to really flesh that out. Yeah. And so how they chose to do it in this one is they gave the Grinch a backstory, mm-hmm. and some people didn't like that. I guess some people don't like i guess the one thing they liked about the original is you never know why he's cranky i mean Mm -hmm. you get he's cranky because everybody's loud and he doesn't like the festivities and how people treat it until he realizes that there's more to christmas than Mm -hmm. than all of that but i guess they didn't like they liked that there was no specific reason i'm one of those people sure Mm -hmm. i I, I, I guess sure it's hard (laughs) it's hard for me because this movie i grew up with this movie and I feel like I grew up with this movie more than the animated one. Mm, and okay. like I grew up with both, but I watched this one so much more and and so I think it's tough because it's one of those things where it's like how much of this do I like cuz of nostalgia and because I loved it as a kid and then mm-hmm. how much of this do I love because it's actually good. Yeah. And I think the answer is in the middle. Okay. Because I do think it's a good movie. No, I agree. I think with you it's a great adaptation, mm-hmm. but I can understand why people don't like it. Uh, yeah, and, and I like I'm not I don't fall in the category where I don't like it. I fall in the category like you where watch it again. I so most likely I will because my um, by the time this recording comes out, it'll be my 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 future future wife, currently my fiance. She like you grew up on the movie and loves it, and so she watches it every Christmas. So I'll probably have to watch it every Christmas, and we'll watch the animated as well. And I, like I said, I don't dislike it. I just feel it's a different message than the original one. There's so the, we have the underlying sure. uh, Doctor Seuss message about the commercialization of Christmas. Yeah, I think, the but this one is heavy-handed, this, whereas yeah. the other one's not. Sure. If I, you don't have to be heavy-handed, I guess. Mm-hmm. I feel like it kind of works in this version because it's so exaggerated anyways yeah like the world is so big and mm-hmm. crazy um oh did i not say that anthony hopkins is the narrator that's, that's such a great yeah, choice yeah, yeah such a great choice as a narrator he's he's like he... he's like slightly creepy but <laughs> <laughs> but it, he i feel like it worked because boris Karloff was the narrator and he was mm-hmm. kind of creepy and then you get anthony hopkins who is Silence of the Lambs over here. True. <laughs> but no, I think it works to be a little heavy handed because because you, you have to carry the message through an hour and a half of a movie. Mm-hmm. And I think the one thing I like is it's a little, I'm going to say realistic and it's clearly not supposed to be real. <laughs> it's a little bit more realistic in that um, the people of Whoville in general struggle with the commercialism mm-hmm. in the original book you get the impression that the who's don't struggle with the commercialism yes. and and that they love christmas for what it is and for like the familial aspects and mm-hmm. and i would argue for the religious aspects but like the more the deep-seated reasons for christmas mm-hmm. um than the commercialism and the presence and everything but in 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 the live action version all of the who's in one way or another struggle with commercialism mm-hmm. um which i'm fine with mm-hmm. right? because they learned their lesson in the end they sing and, and they're all you know 
all together and it's fine. Um, but I, in, in, in this version, and I always thought this, I've always thought it was, I always thought that the Cindy Lou Who moment in the book was so random. Like, I get it, it's cute. Well, in the book, she got up to go get a glass of water. Yeah, but it's always so weird. Like, it it really didn't need to be there. True, but it, he needed it for moving the story along. But he didn't. He could have just stolen everything, and then they could have woken up the next day. Like, mm, you didn't true. need it. Okay, okay, I can I, I always I can thought that. that that part in the book was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And even in the light, in the the animated version, it, it's a little weird. But it's not as weird because I guess you meet Cindy earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like in the live action how they expand on her character. What I'm wondering though is if that was so in the book, yes, it would have been ran, it was random. But in the cartoon, I wonder if I, I, we the don't know. Scenes. But I'm wondering if that's one of the things that uh, Chuck Jones was going to expand on. That would have been interesting to see. I wonder if he ever left notes about that or anything. <laughs> I'm assuming he's not alive anymore. <laughs> Sure. Did you have you have your papers out? It looks I like you do. want to say something. So, because well, then I have a lot to say after this. So get yourself in now. No, I want to hear yours then. Go ahead. Because I'm gonna talk about the changes. Because I'm I'm gonna go and talk about all the changes. Okay. <laughs> and so then what? Well, okay, then I'll then I'll just kind of hit on the parts that I that stuck out to me. And I found this article here that actually okay cite your source. Uh, explained it in a very. Like essentially what I was feeling inside. So it's an article by Jonah Goldberg uh, called Hollywood's Grinch from the National Review. And National Enquirer? No, National Review. <laughs> and so one of the things he talks about, and I, and I one of the things I, I noticed is in watching the movie and giving him a backstory, one of the things they, they do is they they go, it's a problem that I have with contemporary culture and that we have to have an anti-hero. It's, oh yeah, sure. that, that's a big, you know. I, I I'll just throw it out there. I never viewed the Grinch as an antihero, though. But it was the beginning of that movement, and we've got society has just so Hollywood has really just run with it. Sure. And so in the original one, he was evil. Well, he was just he was bad. I won't okay, say evil, well, but he was bad. And we don't care. This. We know why he just was. We don't get enough of his character in the original to make a judgment call. <laughs> Let me just say that you just know he doesn't like Christmas enough to steal everything. Actually, I have a quote here from Dr. Seuss himself. The original Grinch, okay. according to Dr. Seuss, was really bad. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Yes. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. Uh, so, according to Dr. Seuss, he meant him to be a bad guy. He yeah, was. Well, that doesn't affirm that he was evil. The author. No, I, I was going a little too far in calling him evil. But the author himself said that he was just a bad guy. Sure. And it doesn't really matter why. Well, I will say in the movie, even as a kid, he is bad. No, he is. But, <laughs> but they, the, the problem... But he does save Cindy Lou Who. He does. But the problem the problem I have is not that. The problem I have is by giving everything a justification, by giving evil or badness a justification, it weakens the separation between good and evil. And sure. that's become so rampant in our culture in Hollywood to the point where people don't want to believe in evil anymore or they want to justify it. And it's led to a lot of what where well, we are I, today. I would make the argument that, um, yes, I agree with you. I think mm-hmm. especially on like a spiritual level, like evil can exist for its own sake. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when it comes to people, usually there is a catalyst for it. 
I will True. say that that doesn't excuse them of the mm-hmm. evil. Like, that definitely doesn't stop... That I definitely disagree with everything they're doing. And I think that if someone is doing something evil, they should be stopped. Mm-hmm. I don't care if they were raped as a kid or if they were, like, tortured somewhere or whatever. Yeah. Like, that's all upsetting, and I, I don't want that to happen. But that doesn't excuse them of their actions now. Yeah. No, I agree with you on that. And, and, and it's it's... I think for me, it's just, you know how for me personally... I always look at the larger narrative and I see kind of historical trends and zeitgeist and things and where they're going. So that was that was essentially what rubbed me. I think the danger the is when people take these really heavy subject matters and then they boil it down into a dangerous level. And that can be what happens in Hollywood sometimes. Yeah. Anyways. And, and yeah, no. And so and so like that was one of the things that kind of rubbed me when it, when the movie was starting um plus that and changing all the who's into mm-hmm. having an issue like and i liked the simplicity i mean granted once again this is why i like both but i differentiate them too because his simplistic message is good for kids sure you know <clears throat> the who's looked well, to uh community and the family first sure and they didn't need a savior uh to come in you know uh, an individual. I don't, I'm not trying to get religious here, mm-hmm. but that was one of the other things I disliked with the movie. I, just, I think it's funny that you say that the movie, the live action movie, is very heavy handed, and the book is not because the book literally is just telling you everything the whole time. It's like he doesn't like Christmas. You need to know this. the The who's the who's are noisy. Then, but I wouldn't say it's heavy handed in its message. It's just very black and white, very concrete. Well, I don't think the ending of how the Grinch stole Christmas is heavy handed, like his change no. of heart. No, that not. So that's, I felt like the, the, I think that's like a really beautiful moment of the movie, by the way, with the sun coming up and you know, how he starts to cry and, Oh yeah, no, I, that part. Yes. I'm thinking of the very, very end when he's carving the roast beast. <laughs> That'll be mine. And so, <laughs> but it's interesting because like he still has hints of the Grinch in him. Well, cause you're not going to completely change. True, but it. I think I. I like when we have, um, a drastic one eighty. No, but when when you're telling a, a tale, a story, I enjoy stories that have ideals for us to shoot towards. You like moral stories, yes. So, like for instance, I'm gonna go into the world of comic books. Sure. Oh no. Um, most people today don't like I'm Superman. Why? Because Superman is very... He's a Boy Scout. I like Superman. I do too. And I know... I, okay, I like the adventures of Lois and Clark. I've, oh, that's that's the older one, right? From, From the early 90s. Yes, I like, that was a good show. And But most people lean towards the anti-hero today. So either Batman or like in Marvel... Well, you it's have because Deadpool and people those have been things. told that they don't need to change. Yes. They, and don't, that's need, the key. they don't need an ideal to strive for. Mm-hmm. And so I agree with you. Yeah. But... I, I also think that maybe you're just looking into this one too much. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps, but that's what I usually tend to do sometimes with movies. And so, like with this one, uh, they, there was that, and then there was the... I get you, though. The emphasis of the individual okay. over community. Right. Before I move on to talking about all the differences, which are many, <clears throat> for hypothetical purposes, uh-huh. let's say you're a screenwriter. Yeah. You don't want to give a backstory. You uh-huh. You don't want to... You know, explain why the Grinch is the way he is, right? 
How are you going to fill up this time? So, no, that's where... But once again, that's where I differentiate between the two mediums. So it worked for one... What, what I think what I'm trying to say is that to me, they're just... They're not the same story. Well, they have the same yeah. characters and they have the same... The heart is the plot. same. The skeleton's the same. Yes. But it does its own thing. But I, the other... But it does... Yes, it does. And and then the last part, like I was... I just... I started bringing up is I, I don't like the overemphasis of the individual over community, the importance of community. Because in this one, Cindy Lou Who is the one who rescues the Grinch. Not the social not the the, the, the Who community. Yeah, he hears them. I would but then I she would say that it up. was never the Who's goal to save them though. Yeah. I, I, it, it didn't necessarily have to be. It was him listening in and hearing them, mm-hmm. and him seeing well, that the community. I would, I would still argue it wasn't Christmas. Cindy that changed him because it was him hearing the Who's singing and their change of heart, and him seeing there is more to Christmas. But who did? But Cindy also brought change to but the community. She planted, she planted the seed, and she also. But she also brought change to the community. So in the end, she was the rescuer, not the community itself. So in the end, he saw. He he. I don't know. I just felt it. It, sure. it, it valued individualism over I, what the importance I liked about of community it, though, and social and family. Cindy, Cindy, like wasn't up on her high horse. Like she wasn't like putting her soapbox down mm-hmm. the whole time. Like she was trying to make changes, like on the personal level. Like she did speak up, and then she did vote him for you know holiday cheermeister, which is a big deal. But like she never stood there, and she wasn't like you all are bad, and this is what you're doing <laughs> wrong, and this is how you're gonna save yourselves. Like she was never like that. Like she was just kind the whole time. Like yeah. she's she like, we need to be kind. We need to allow so, him back. And, I agree. With, no, I agree that in 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 context of the of the zeitgeist of Hollywood and where things if they were made going this today, she would be a teenager or in her early twenties, <laughs> and she would be doing that. Oh yeah, no, it would be a very different film today. So in in context of what where what it was when they made it. It works. I'm, you know, I'm not going to dispute that aspect. Mm-hmm. But those are the things that rub me because I have sure. a, you know, I have a sensitivity to the, the way things are. are I will these say, days. you say the movie is heavy-handed, and I, I don't disagree with you on some level. It is, and for Dr. Seuss, I think he can just be heavy-handed, mm-hmm. but <laughs> which is fine. It works. But I will say, um, ironically, having mm-hmm. said that, um, in this version. Um, Ron Howard and the writers they added more details of the story mm. and I'm reading this off of movieweb.com okay um, and I will say um, it's interesting because you don't think about this when you watch the movie mm-hmm. and so I think this is one of the times the movie is not heavy handed mm-hmm. um, they included themes like xenophobia and its effects political corruption and capitalism in the film's plot mm-hmm. and those are things that you don't think about you know they're there but because they're played out through the characters mm-hmm. and it's never like there's never a sign saying this is what we're doing and a character never flat out says you're being politically corrupt. Like yeah. You just put the pieces together. Yeah. And so I will say that those themes are mm-hmm. not heavy handed. And I do like that because one, they're not important. They they play into the plot, but they're not the central theme. True. I think the more heavy handed one was just the commercialization aspect. True. And And I will say though that I got that feeling at the beginning of the movie, yeah. but I didn't have it at the end. At the end, yes, yes. It, it was. I liked it. I I, I enjoyed. Well, I think that's the point because I think you need to have a drastic change from beginning to end. Mm, yeah, and and I think um, at the same time, because this is a longer movie, and because they've added these other elements into it, these other themes mm-hmm. to flesh it out and add like subtext and things, 
I feel like you have to push the main theme more mm. so that you can remind people this is the main theme. This is what we're focusing on. Everything else is just going to tie into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, overall, I, I still enjoyed it. Just different for me. Sure. So go ahead. We'll, we'll go up, move on to the, oh, the changes I, between the two. I'm going to go through these one by one <laughs> because I was doing so much research and I found this website uh-huh. and I want to thank everybody at movieweb.com because it is so succinct in the changes. I will talk about other things that are not on here, but I was t- like screenshotting. So I was going to reference them. And then I realized I was just screenshotting like the whole thing. That's funny. It was like, let me just keep the website open and I'll just, okay. <laughs> All right. So one of the biggest differences is the ensemble cast of comedians. Mm-hmm. It has Saturday Night Live's um, alumni Molly Shannon, who plays Betty Lou Who. She's the mother to Cindy Lou Who, and she's more concerned with competing with her neighbor, Martha May Huvier, about their Christmas decorations. And so much so that she is distracted and does not see the crisis that her daughter, Cindy Lou Who, is going through. Mm-hmm. Um, Martha May Huvier is portrayed by Christine Baranski, who comes from Broadway. She also does a bunch of movie, film and television. Um, and Martha Mayhuvi was the most popular and beautiful girl in school. And as an adult, she has the best and brightest house. And she remains secretly in love with the Grinch. Um, Clint Howard, whose acting career started as a toddler on The Andy Griffith Show, plays Hubris as second in command to Mayor Mayhu, who was played by, and I looked at it before. Tambor. Thank you. Jeffrey Tambor. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. <clears throat> And he waits for a demand from the mayor as to what to do and to what to say, kind of like his lackey. Um, there's many comedians, um, many comedies rely on one or two comedians to carry the film, but Howard assemb- assembling of many comedians is one reason his adaptation stands out. And I'm, I'm going I'm to talk more about other characters as well, but do you have anything to say to that? No. I will say I love Christine Baranski in this movie. <laughs> yeah, her, uh, yeah, she had a good character. I like that there was a character who always liked the Grinch. Mm. I think you could, you know, the college kids out there could probably say she only likes him because he was exotic and different. She didn't really like him, but I don't, I don't see it that way. Yeah, <laughs> but. Um, I like that there was always someone who, besides his stuff that he said, he gets adopted by an old lesbian couple. <laughs> and I was like, I never thought of it that way, but maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought they were sisters. Like old, like um, old maid sisters. Oh, okay. <laughs> but maybe they are. I don't know. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I think I read somewhere that they were supposed to be a couple. Maybe. Yeah. Sure. Um, so another iconic comedian, Jeffrey Tambor, you said, mm-hmm. he portrays Mayor Augustus Mayhu. And before Augustus became the mayor, however, he was the school bully. Mm-hmm. When the Grinch was at school, he was mocked by Augustus and his friends for having a beard at such a young age. And this caused the Grinch to go home and shave, which only caused more ridicule. Um, according to Pacer, 41% of students reported they felt the bullying they experienced would happen again. While many bullies are often bullied at home. They have learned that fear is how to control people. Augustus Mayhu clearly uses fear with Lou Luhu, um, Cindy Luhu's father, mm-hmm. 
He uses fear with him at the beginning of the film as well with Hubris, his assistant. And these small moments with fellow who adults act as a window into how he is elected as the holiday cheermeister Mm -hmm. year after year. Just standard for certain politicians. Sure. I just just like that they flesh out the world. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't get any of that in the book, which is fine. You don't need it in the book. Sure. But when you're going to adapt it into a film, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So four is life in Whoville. The Who's live in a small city with towers and spires at the bottom of Mount Crumpet. Um, Big Picture Film Club reports that Whoville's architecture is inspired by cities in Morocco. I don't know if that's true or not, but sure. While the shops are inspired by the ones found in Paris. In addition to real-life inspiration, the Who's also have a similar story to the stork bringing babies to expecting parents. Clarnella, who's played by Mindy Sterling, and Rose, played by Rachel Winfrey, tell Cindy Lou Who that Who babies float in on baskets and appear on the parents' porches, except for the Grinch, whose basket lands in a tree. While in the tree, he witnesses a Christmas party with an unusual theme. The key party is hosted by none other than the Grinch's mothers. It's possible these parties occur only at Christmas, and I love this, making the holiday quite cheerful. (laughs) I that was a joke I did not get as a kid. Yes, I know. I, I always okay. Here's what's funny though is because I did not, not growing up in the seventies, <laughs> I did not know what a key party was until yeah. very late in life. Mm-hmm. I always thought they were giving their keys so they couldn't drive home drunk. It's funny enough, someone I spoke to thought the same thing. I think a lot of people who were younger thought that. Yeah, she, yeah which is also a good joke. Mm-hmm. It's not as crazy, but. It's also a good joke. I'm surprised uh, his his Dr. Seuss's widow allowed that too. Yes, stay. Well, apparently there was a few like heavierly sexually innuendos or whatever that she dumbed down. Yeah, I read about those. But it also goes to show you that she probably just has a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Right, anything to say about that? Nope. I like the one. Where um, the baby comes and it lands on the porch and he's like, oh. Ma, our baby's here. Like, it looks just like your boss. boss. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I think it's funny because in the movie, if you haven't seen this movie, why haven't you seen this movie? <laughs> but this is you're learning all this because Cindy Lou Who, I guess I should backtrack. Jeez. So in this version, the Grinch, after being provoked by a bunch of teenage Who's, which I think is so funny. He goes down to Whoville and he's in a disguise and he <laughs> he's like playing pranks on the Who's and he's like messing around in the post office and he, he kind of sets it up so he scares Cindy Lou Who because mm-hmm. she comes upon him and she falls into um, basically a machine that could kill her. Yeah. And um, partially because his dog Max stops him from leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and partly because I guess he feels bad, but he just wants her to stop. He pulls her out and saves her. Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't want it to appear like he's a good guy. And so he like wraps her up as a present. Mm-hmm. Um, but because Cindy Lou, who was saved by him, she thinks maybe he's not so bad. Mm-hmm. And so she looks into his past. And so we learn what happened to the Grinch while she learns what happened to the Grinch. Yeah. Which I think works really well for storytelling. No, it does. It does. Um, so anyways, I should say that that's how we get all this backstory stuff. Mm-hmm. I love how she comes to the door and um, the old ladies are like, who could that be? And they're like, hello, little girl. Have you come to read to us? And she's just she's just like, <laughs> she's just like, uh, no. 
There's so many really good throwaway lines in this movie. All right, so number three, The Who's Love for Christmas. One thing that is certain is the Who's love for Christmas. Each year they have roast beast, leave cookies out for Santa, and decorate their houses. Martha May Huvier wins the most beautifully decorated house, too, thanks to her impeccable style and color coordination. Mm -hmm. She also has a machine that shoots out lights and nails them into the house as well. Her owning this machine means the Who's take Christmas decorations quite seriously because they've made this machine. Mm Mm-hmm. Of course, the pièce de résistance is the 1,000th Hubilation celebration, celebrated on Christmas Eve. During the celebration, the holiday cheermeister judges fudge and pudding tastings, and in a deleted scene, the Nagoff participates in the various games and leads various marches and dances. And what I'm going to say real quick before we move on too much yep. to the other differences Um I, I like this whole thing about the holiday cheermeister. It's so random. Mm-hmm. And it really has nothing to do with the plot, except that it does. Because if you think about it, if the point of the story is for the Grinch to have a change of heart, mm-hmm. and you have an hour and a half film to do it in, and you know he has to have that change of heart by the climax, yeah, you need to have moments in the movie where you are successful and then also fail at that. Right? From a writing standpoint, a a plot device. You need to have ups and downs Mm -hmm. while reaching that goal. Mm -hmm. And because the movie is so long, they it seems like that's the reason why they included this idea of the holiday cheermeister. Mm -hmm. And because um Cindy Lou who hears the backstory of how the Grinch was bullied and how he basically was ostracized and he left to be on his own. Um and you get this idea that he's also really sad. Mm Um, and angry obviously and hurt um, and just super funny <laughs> um, he stood there hating the who's alphabetically <laughs> um, and so if you if you think there's really no reason why Cindy should take it upon herself to like to get the, the Grinch to come back mm-hmm. and and to resolve things. Like, there's really no reason for her to do it except that I think she feels uh, a little ostracized herself in that, like, she's the only one who sees the commercialism and the craziness. And so she feels like she can connect with him, maybe. Yeah. This is me, obviously, here coming up with this stuff. But if you include a plot device like the Holiday Cheermeister with the Hubilation, you can have something early on it's like the the half the the halfway point of the movie right Mm -hmm. you can have something halfway through the movie where it looks like she might be able to to succeed in getting him to come back um and and you can see how things could be if he came back but then ultimately he the 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 goal fails partly because um the mayor um who's still a bully but uh, also because the Grinch hasn't actually had a change of heart yet. He's just getting a lot of attention. Yeah. And I think that's what's important. Because she wants to show him that he's important. She wants to show him that he can be loved. And she wants him to come back to be in Whoville and to, you know, get everybody together again. Because she, I think she needs to know there's more to Christmas. Mm-hmm. And so I think, like, if she can get the Grinch to have a change of heart... Um, if she can have the people have a change of heart, then she can prove there's more to Christmas. 
Right. And I think that's yeah. why there's that moment when she runs into the Grinch when he's dressed up as Santa, when she asks him what is mm-hmm. Christmas all about and he says presents. Yeah. Like she's really upset by that. Because mm-hmm. she's she says, I was afraid of that. Is that what she said? It like, is. I, I kind yeah. of she she says, I was afraid of that, yeah. Okay. Because I had to stop the movie and then yeah. I started again later and I started that scene yeah. and I yeah. missed what she said. Because if you think about it, the Grinch in in the live action version it's not the Grinch's story, it's Cindy Lou's story. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, right? That's one of the issues I have with it, yeah. Sure. <laughs> but but if you if you think about it, that makes sense. Yeah. Because the Grinch doesn't have the goal to stop Christmas in this version until about the midway point. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you could make the argument... Well, up to that point, he, wanted to, he knocks himself out. I was going to sleep through it. Yes. But, like, he didn't have the goal to eliminate Christmas in Whoville until after the midway point. Yeah. And so it was Cindy, it's Cindy Lou Who's story. Like, she's the heroine. Mm-hmm. Um, you could make the argument that the mayor is the main villain. You could make, the, that, you could make the You could make the argument that the, that the society is the villain in the story. Once again, the issue I have with it, yeah. Um. But you could also make the argument that the Grinch is also a villain in this. Because if this is Cindy Lou Who's story, and if this if she's trying to reach goals in the story, then the Grinch is impeding that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and no, it is. I agree with you on that, you know, and that, that goes back to what I was saying before, where it's it's <clears throat> and it and it works for this for this movie, but it's the idea of Yeah, I will uh, say I think the Grinch still gets more airtime. <laughs> oh yeah, no, he does. But it's it's the bringing the gray in instead of just keeping the you know but its original was a moral of black and white essentially yes <clears throat> this one humanizes the story essentially yeah well i think it's it's i would okay i would argue it's yes it's humanized but it's it's nuanced oh yeah no definitely because in order for the medium for a movie right. for it to work yeah. it has to be yeah you have to yeah yeah i think it's just the argument of which medium do you prefer mm-hmm. really and I will I will be straight up and say some mediums don't work for for specific art things. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at you ballet versions of Shakespeare. The point of Shakespeare is the language. <laughs> Wait, what versions? Ballet versions of oh, Shakespeare. Oh, ballet. Ver- I didn't know they had that. They do. That's weird. There's some famous pieces that you would have heard the music to. I'm sure really? Yes. Huh. Anyways, we'll moving back to differences. So in and we'll talk about this already. In the story and in the 1966 film, Cindy Lou Who is a small Who child who encounters the Grinch dressed as Santa mm-hmm. as he steals her family's indoor decorations. I think that's so funny that they phrased it that way. However, in the 2000 version, she plays a much larger role. In fact, she's the voice of reason against the adults who have shunned the Grinch and seem to care only about the 99% off sales at stores. She also embarks on an investigative journey to discover who the Grinch really is. I got ahead of myself a little. Instead of believing he's a lonely, miserable person, after finding out that he was bullied into isolation, she decides to help the Grinch reintegrate into Whoville by nominating him for the holiday cheermeister. Because of her decision to question the norm, she not only helped save Christmas, but she saved the Grinch as well. And I know you said you didn't like that, but there you go. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't say I didn't like it. I just, you know, it's just my preference for messages. Okay, and then I think this is the last one on this website, not for me. <laughs> of course, the creme de la creme of the film is Jim Carrey's performance of the Grinch. Mm -hmm. Carrey is exalted for his comedic genius, but the Grinch required a different approach. Under layers of makeup, prosthetics, and hair, yak hair, 
to be specific. I did read that, yeah. Carrie wouldn't be able to morph his face as easily. He had to rely on other physical aspects like walking, climbing, and dancing to be funny. While he doesn't disguise his voice that much, the inflections and tones he uses aid in his line delivery, carrying across emotion that might have otherwise stayed hidden because of the heavy makeup. What makes Carrie perfect as the Grinch is his ability to improvise. In fact, one infamous scene was improvised by Carrie as he tries on various outfits for the hubilation. The Grinch pulls a tablecloth off the table without anything falling, only to return to knock everything off the table. The plan was to have everything fall off the table. So when he that didn't happen, Carrie came up with the now famous moment on the spot. I remember that scene. Yes. So funny. And then I have a few other things to talk about too, but do you want to talk about those before we move on? Nope. I'm good. I I don't have any I don't like as I'm sure I'll come up with something, but I don't have anything super major to talk about except for just some small things. One of the things that I noticed, and I have not come across anybody who's said anything about it, mm-hmm. it just makes sense. Um I <laughs> one thing I kinda like from an artistic standpoint and a storytelling standpoint is in the live action movie they included these um <clears throat> trash dumpsters oh yeah oh and, the, and they they, they yeah. use them to transport themselves mm-hmm. like it's not the intention but but the grinch does it yeah um mm. and it's, it's really early on there's in all the exposition is so good the exposition is so good in this film it's just it's not screamed at you it's just you see it mm-hmm. um to, in order to get back home because it shows that the kids climbed up the mountain yeah and even when cindy goes to visit him the first time she climbs the mountain does she? Yeah. It shows her climbing with the muffs and everything. Okay. Yeah. But, um, so you know that people are climbing it, but the Grinch, when he goes back up the mountain, mm-hmm. he goes into the dumpster and it like rushes the trash and himself mm. up to the top of Mount Crumpet to dump it, is the line. Yeah. Perfect. Like, it's like he wrote Crumpet just for that rhyme, I swear. <laughs> it worked. But it works. Yeah, I like it because... This easily could have just been a device to get characters back and forth really quickly, mm-hmm. which is what was needed. Yeah. Like, they clearly needed that mm-hmm. because you can't climb up and down a mountain every time. Mm-hmm. And so for expediency, they came up with this device to transport the characters almost instantaneously. Yeah. Um, which is smart, mm-hmm. but what makes it even better and what makes it better than what I think what they might come up with now is... It works with the theme. The whole theme of this is like commercialism and getting presents and okay. Oh, and like when he talks about how yeah, all the like, presents yeah, end it's up. It's like a throwaway out. culture, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so like, and so he builds up his whole like layer with mm-hmm. things that have been thrown away, hmm. which I think is also smart. Like yeah. it's a very creative way that seems to work with the story, right? And and I think if it was just by itself. Mm-hmm. like it would have been dumb and it would just been like yeah clearly you just needed to, to figure out a way to get characters to go places fast yeah but the fact that it works with the theme is what elevates it i think oh i mean in a way he's he he identifies with their refuse because they threw him away right yeah. yeah somebody once said they said so then where did max come from it's <laughs> true they don't have a do they have pets i don't remember seeing pets in whoville there's a fish there's a cat was there? Yes, because remember there's that joke oh, with the yes, cat for the tr- that comes out of the bag. That's right. Yes. 
So I guess they have one dog and one cat in that whole And one movie. fish. One fish. Yes, maybe more. Uh, there's something before I forget about it. I just think it's smart. Go ahead. The that I, if you, I don't know if you came across this or if this is what it was intended to be. So you remember how Whoville originally was on in the in the books was on a piece of dust or pollen or something and back it in Horton on a flower on Horton. Here's a who. Yeah. In this one, in the opening and in the beginning, it looks like it's on a snowflake. Mm-hmm. Was that supposed to be? Was that on purpose? Is it on a snowflake? Did you read that anywhere? I did not come across this. I think that was something created for this version. Okay. Um, I think it still works. Mm-hmm. I think you could argue that this story takes place before Horton Hears a Who. Yeah. Um, but the, the book definitely doesn't say anything about it. Mm-hmm. And... The, no, no. This this has to be the only version that, that that did it. I didn't read anything about about that, oh. but my hypothesis would be if they're looking at Horton Hears a Who and the idea mm-hmm. that it's on a spec, mm-hmm. they're probably going with that idea. And and because this movie does explain things, yeah, they're probably trying to sh- instead of just saying, "Oh, there's a place called Whoville," mm-hmm. they're showing you where Whoville is. And it actually makes it a bit more magical. It does, yeah. Like I think it's a really nice bookend mm-hmm. to the movie because, like, inside a snowflake, like the one on her sleeve. You yeah. Know? And then it slowly goes into the snowflake, <laughs> and then you see Whoville. Yeah. And then at the very end of the movie, you exit the snowflake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering if they had done that in homage to the. To I, I'm sure that had to play into it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I didn't read anything about it. That was just that was what I always thought. Yeah, yeah. So many differences, and yet it 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 feels so cohesive. No, as a work of art, I think it did. It's I and I like what you said earlier in regards to. So even though I did make the comment about it being heavy-handed, I was talking about the commercialization of Christmas as compared to how the book originally oh, I mean, was. Okay, well, in, but in, for that in, point in the beginning, yes. Yeah, but in general, it wasn't. It it was not preachy. Just no. like the original book was. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, for those listening, I tend to be a little bit more sensitive to messages in movies. Most people that most I don't people like it when, when anyone is just pedantic. Mm-hmm. I, I can't stand that. Yeah. Unless it's like purposely supposed to be. <laughs> but True. still. No, I. Um, I will say as an adult. There are definitely a few moments in this movie, especially at the end, mm-hmm. after the Grinch has had his transformation of his heart and everything. Yeah. Where the story's not over yet because they have loose ends to tie up still. Mm. Whereas like in the original book, that's the ending. Yeah. In the animation, that's the ending. But because they have all these other like subplots and stuff mm-hmm. that haven't been, you know, tied up yet, yeah. they can't end the film yet. Mm-hmm. And so they still need conflict and, and things. Yeah. And so I will say there is some contrived conflict at the very end of this film. And I think I think that's probably the weak part. Okay. I, I think it's fine. Oh, I, I, give an example. What would you do? Okay, one of, one of the contrived moments is like um, when the sleigh is about to fall off and Cindy Lou is on top of the sleigh. Oh. And if you were like, why is she on top of the sleigh? <laughs> yeah. That's why like, did she choose to go up there? Standard. I... I, I I agree with that. I'm like, why is she on the top of the sleigh? Mm-hmm. I know she was looking for him, 
but why would you go up on the top of the sleigh? It's the going to get a glass of water moment. Sure. Movie, I will I will say I can come up with with reasons. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's just me wanting to have reasons though. Yeah, no, it's we, we tend to do that with TV shows and yeah. movies. I, I would make the argument that she couldn't find him and she's like, maybe he's on top. You know, I don't Didn't she say she said something though, I thought that when he asked her, what are you doing up there? Or something. All she says is, um, nobody should be alone on Christmas. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then he does the, oh. <laughs> so I will say like, that's kind of contrived. Mm-hmm. It's like, she didn't need to be up on top, but like, clearly he has to save her. I think it works fine for the story because it does show his transformation in his heart mm-hmm. that he did choose to save her for sure. And everything. Um, and that was something that was in the animated version that was not in the book in the animated version. Um, the slate almost goes off. Yeah, and so that was added for that version, mm-hmm. and so they just did that for this version, but they uh, they upped the stakes by mm-hmm. having Cindy on top. Yeah, would another contrived version have been the mother and? Yes. Okay. That was what I was leading up to. Okay. So, so the other one is when he pulls the brake and it and, it, and the brake <laughs> um, comes off, and so they're gonna crash, and so in order to stop them, Mar- uh, Martha Mayhuvier and um, Cindy Lou's mom. Um, they pull off a bunch of Christmas lights and they try to stop the sleigh, and it's very dramatic. Yeah. Like it's it's fun to watch, mm-hmm. and the music's compelling, but it it, it definitely doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, <clears throat> like it. They could have just rode into town; it would have been fine. Mm-hmm. But I think because the pacing, they didn't want to slow down the pace of the movie. Oh, okay. That's what I'm guessing, because they had they had this all this pace leading up to the the climax mm-hmm. that in order to tie up the loose ends they didn't want to lose that pace that that's sense. what i'm guessing yeah and i think they still wanted some comedy and so there is comedy in in that but plus it kind of resolves the conflict between them too yeah. and i yes you're talking about martha may and mm, the mother yes, i think that's the other reason yeah i i think it shows them coming together mm-hmm. and yeah and, and so i that's why i don't mind it mm-hmm. because i think it does play into their characters like it wasn't so contrived that it had nothing to do with the story yeah and that it was just problems for problem's sake mm-hmm. um so yeah i think other than those are the two main ones i yeah i do like how in this version um because in the other in the other version you never know how the who's feel about him you just know that he hates the who's mm-hmm. um but in this version i like that he's like he's basically like voldemort from harry potter where it's like we don't talk about him <laughs> yeah right like traffic stops and Mm -hmm. like i love that that's a thing in this version like i like how his his horrible bullying that turned into him like pushing back on them and throwing the tree and causing chaos i like to imagine that it turned into like this big mythical thing Mm. where it like blew out of proportion well i think they hit that in the the beginning with the two boys the sons remember when they saw the fake Yeah. yeah Yeah, and I, I like I like that in the beginning because um, it gives us uh, false expectations as an audience member. Mm. Yeah, and because it's cool because you get to hear about him before you see him, mm-hmm. and then when you see it at first, it's like this crazy monster. And when I was a kid, mind you, when I watched it, I think it was like seven, mm-hmm. as it freaked me out. But <laughs> um, but then you see that it's actually a comedic moment where yeah. it's Max and like this big mask thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I, th- I think it worked. Like there was nothing they did for no reason at all. Yeah. 
outside of, <laughs> I mean, the, the outside of her on being on top of the sleigh, I would. Uh, yeah. I mean, there are definitely moments that were just put in for comedic moments. Of course, like they. I think what I heard someone say is the strength of this movie is they wrote to Jim Carrey's strengths. Mm, okay. They said a bad Jim Carrey movie is when a script was not written for Jim Carrey. Mm. <laughs> they said, because if you, you put Jim Carrey, I mean, I'll, to be fair, he's amazing in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and he's nothing like himself in that. I've never seen that one. Oh, you should watch it. It's so good. It's so different than his normal stuff. Hmm. But Kate Winslet's in this too. But anyways, no, I, I just think, I think playing into his strengths is what makes the movie good. I, I think, I think I, the way I, I look at it is it, the movie is kind of like his playground mm-hmm. in a way, but you still, he's not goofy the whole time. Like he does feel, yes, and he that's, does feel well-rounded. And that's why I think I enjoyed it was because what, like I said before, in the other movies he's done, he was just dumb. Yeah was acting dumb and yeah and i i i can i like what you're saying in regards to a play to his strength or strengths because that's probably why i was able to enjoy him in in this film because they they focused on that instead of the regular stupid Mm -hmm. you know comedic lowbrow humor that they they often do uh, and that's why like, I, I, I found it interesting when you said earlier at the beginning when we started the podcast, you were saying how um, you said something in regards to when I said it, it wasn't his typical or, or it wasn't like the same type of humor. But I guess I, I in talking about it, it was his type of humor. They just wrote it and in a way that was uh, yeah, they not, allowed it to come out in the moments where it was. Needed. Yes. Yeah. And it wasn't the yeah. whole movie. Yeah. I Some people have said that the movie relies on his humor, and I disagree with that. Yeah, I would too. Because I think the movies would have been fine even if they had dumbed down his humor. Mm-hmm. I think his humor, I would I would argue, it doesn't elevate the movie because I feel like the message and the themes and the characters do, but it I think it gives it a tone that would have been missing if mm-hmm. it wasn't in it. Would you... Whereas in like I guess the other movies of his, his character is essentially him, him as a comedian. In this case, <laughs> basically it's him doing stand-up. Yeah, pretty much. And in this one, he's actually playing the Grinch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he, he, it's so weird. It, 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 it's hard because I always forget it's Jim Carrey. Yeah, Be- and I think it's because of the makeup and yeah, it helps. But I forget it's Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. The whole t- every time I watch this, I forget it's Jim Carrey. I just see the Grinch. Yeah, I did. I can agree with yeah. that. And and I think to be again that is also the makeup because everybody else in the movie I don't see the other actors either, and I think that's what works for the movie mm-hmm. because you don't see the actors even yeah. if you recognize them you're not fixated on it yeah and I, I get, I've gotten lost in movies before where I'm like oh I know that person yeah and then I'm suddenly out of the movie you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's why sometimes people, they cast movies and they say, I want a nobody. I wonder, you know, in, speaking about how about the humor and stuff, I wonder how much the makeup and other stuff toned him down. Oh, yeah. And thus added to the... Well, it weighed him down for character. sure. It yeah. was heavy. I know at one point, um, Ron Howard went and did the whole makeup process just to see what it would be like. Mm-hmm. And he, oh, that one day he directed the whole time as the Grinch. 
That would have been funny. Yeah. Oh, did they show it on the video? It's show behind the scenes. Behind the scenes? Yeah. It's so funny because it looks just like the Grinch. Yeah. But then you hear Ron Howard's voice, <laughs> which is very different. This is now the second podcast, and you go back and watch the videos you watched yes. behind the scenes. Yes. Yeah. Um. And on, I know if you watched the, it on TV when it airs on TV, mm-hmm. it usually airs with deleted scenes. That's what I read. Yes, and it's yeah. actually, I can see why they cut them. Mm-hmm. I do like them though. Okay. Like they they really didn't need to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think it fleshes it out more. Hmm. Like in, one of the deleted scenes is um one of the deleted scenes it takes place directly like it's just small things like mm-hmm. it it just expands what you already know oh, okay like none of the deleted scenes really add anything that really add anything mm-hmm. it just expands oh, and so one of them is they're in early on they're in the department store mm-hmm. and Cindy Lou's father's credit card um was rejected mm-hmm. because he's he overspent Oh okay. Yeah, but the way that the 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 store treats it is almost like it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you went through another <laughs> card, you know, like sirens go off and they're almost happy about it. Yeah. Um, and Cindy's super confused. She's like, mm-hmm. what the heck? Um, and I can see why they cut that mm-hmm. because it's just a bit much. Yeah. Um, but it does add to the idea of they've gone way too far on this Christmas thing mm-hmm. and how they treat it. Um, another one is. It shows the the lighting, the tree lighting competition, mm-hmm. and so when is that moment where Martha May and Cindy Lou Who's mom, Betty, are talking to each other, and then um, you know in the movie it 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 shows Martha May going, "Well, good night, Betty," and then she goes into her her bed her house, and yeah. then it cuts to the Grinch making the phone call, a prank phone call. Mm-hmm. In the deleted scene, it takes place directly after that, uh, okay. and before she enters her house the mayor shows up with his assistant. Okay. And it's basically the mayor... It's like showing early on that the mayor liked Martha. Oh. Which you didn't need because when they cut it, you get it a little bit later mm-hmm. with the background and stuff. Yeah. And it works just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this version, you get to see that he actually really likes Martha. Early mm-hmm. on, he's like asking her on a date. And there's like a comedic moment where he tries to get rid of the lackey and he doesn't get the hint. And so he's like, oh no, your button fell off and he like pulls it off and like throws it um so like it really doesn't add much except that it just again it expands what you in this version what you're going to find out yeah you just find it out early um and there's another one um this is the one that i'm i'm glad they took it out but i'm also kind of sad they took it out Mm -hmm. i've always wondered as a kid like whatever happened to the tree lighting to the to the the christmas light competition Mm -hmm. because you don't need to know what happens like it's not important yeah but as a kid i'm always like well who won you know and in the movie you act in the deleted scene you actually get to find out oh okay yeah and in the deleted scene it actually i kind of like it the one reason i wish it stayed in is because it gets to show you how corrupt the mayor is Mm -hmm. because in the deleted scene it shows the competition and it's kind of funny because um there's a couple other ones, like small random tidbits where like the Grinch is interacting with Cindy and those are deleted scenes that just add to what he's doing and he's just goofiness. Mm-hmm. But it, those also just feel like he was improvising and they just cut them because it just took too long. Oh, uh, okay. Um, in in the regular movie version, she comes back and it shows her father picking her up out of the snowdrift and he says, we can't miss the hubilation. 
Mm-hmm. But in the deleted scene, he picks her up and he says, we're going to miss the Christmas light competition. Oh, okay. And so it cuts to the competition and it shows um, Betty and Martha May doing their thing. Um, and it looks like Betty's is better, mm-hmm. but then Martha adds something. And so Betty adds something. And so it's like, it just gets bigger, bigger, bigger and brighter, brighter, brighter. Yeah. And that's part of the joke is it's just crazy. And it was like fireworks and stuff. Right. Um, and at one point it's so bright that all the judges have like these, like, uh, like <laughs> welding goggles. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, it shows like her, uh, Cindy Lou, who's, uh, brothers on a motorcycle on bicycles, powering a generator, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, and the judges cast their vote and you look and you see it's actually supposed to be for Betty Lou, uh-huh. but then the mayor's supposed to read it. And so he changes it to Martha because he uh, likes Martha. Yeah. And so it's this really sad moment where Betty's like really downcast and, but then mm-hmm. it cuts directly into the Grinch trying to figure out if he's going to go. Mm. And so I think besides time, because I think it, it should have stayed if only to show the mayor's character. Yeah. But again, his character comes out enough in the film that I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. But it could have stayed for that reason alone and then just for resolution on the competition. Mm-hmm. But I think, and the reason I agree with them cutting it is it, it, it it's too much of a roller coaster in tone. Okay. Because it's kind of like, will the Grinch come? Will he not come? Like, mm-hmm. there's some, <clears throat> maybe he will. Um, but then it cuts directly to this, like, kind of like comedic but sad moment. Yeah. And like everyone's sad that Betty lost, and and then it cuts right back to the Grinch, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it really and so in the the version that we all saw, it cuts from her going back to Whoville directly to the Grinch again. Okay, which it just streamlines it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few other ones. Um, there's another one where, and the others are just comedic. Like there's one where it shows Betty like trying to do some last minute gift wrapping, mm. uh, but she's so angry that she lost that she's like slamming things mm. and like just like pressing down on the boxes too hard and yeah. just like next year I have to go bigger and you know, <laughs> you know stuff like that. Um, which again would not make sense if you had cut the previous scene. Yeah. <clears throat> um, now, for the most part, whenever I watch movies and I see deleted scenes, they make sense when you watch them. When you when you look back as to why they were deleted, when, especially when it comes to pacing and other things like sure. that. But um, every once in a while, though, there's a deleted scene that I'm like, this should have stayed. Yes, like you were only cut for time. Yeah, there's actually two movies I can think of right now. Uh, I'll mention them, but that I'm they actually curious. are better when they have the deleted yeah. scenes in them. I do tell people though, if you like how the Grinch Little Christmas watch it on tv because you will at the very least you'll like it just because it's more of what you like Mm, okay like i agree with why they cut it but i also want to see this (laughs) yeah yeah um there's there's others but i don't i can't remember them off the top of my head and they're really not that important yeah but yeah um yeah it's 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 um I like I like this movie. <laughs> no, yes, I can tell. Yeah. I I just okay. The one thing, there's just the one thing I think is funny. I still think it's funny, but it's so random and clearly only put in there for comedic elements. Is when the Grinch comes flying out and he's hitting all these different things, and he lands right in the middle of Martha May, who's breasts. Uh, yes, <laughs> and she's like, oh, and he's like, hello, Martha. <laughs> <laughs> like he didn't have to land like that 
Like, clearly that was a choice. Yep. <laughs> that was funny. I, I think it's hilarious, but it's also like, okay. That was another another one that... But there's so the much happening in this movie. Like, there's so much in the background. Mm-hmm. And... I, like, in that scene alone, when he goes and he scares the crowd, mm-hmm. have you noticed in the background... You've only watched it once, so... Yeah. In the background... There's someone who falls off of a building. Oh, really? Because <laughs> he was scared. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I stuff, that. There's always stuff like that. The one thing I've always been curious about, and I've, I haven't been able to find anything about it. I just missed it, but I always thought it was interesting. Again, this goes back to big, bold choices. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to do this, but they did. When they go to the Hubilation, everybody's dressed in like food theme. Have you noticed? Did you notice that? Oh, I read somewhere about that. that did, what did you read? That in the credits, they equated everybody to food or something like that, or I, something like that. I, I, I really didn't pay much attention to it, but it was kind of like you are what you eat type thing. I mean, oh, they they questioned whether that's what they were trying to get across or something like. Oh, along so this those wasn't lines. anybody who actually worked on the film. This no, no, no. This it. was just someone reviewing the film. They were trying to figure out. I guess I, I didn't pay attention to the credits that they actually show. Somewhere, go ahead with what you're going to say because I'm not sure what I what I read. I have not been able to find the reason for this. Okay, um, I think depending on the popularity of something, usually you'll find interviews and and things like that where people have explained things. Um, like when we did Heather's, like they explained a lot of why they did what they did. Mm-hmm. But in this one, they showed a lot of the really fun stuff, like the big sets and the makeup and things. Um, but they didn't really. They, I couldn't really find any information about the reasoning for specific choices. Okay. And, again, I'm just venturing a guess here. I I still don't really know why, but I like the choice that all the Whos are dressed in, like, different food themes. Like, the whole Cindy Lou Who family, they are all, like, a picnic theme. Mm. So, like, um, if you look at them, they're all wearing, like, checkerboard type uh like oh, a picnic right. blanket yeah. and they have different dishes and stuff like cindy lou who has a it looks like a eggnog in a in like a teacup mm-hmm. with a like a candy cane and then like some of the other ones like the, obviously the two girls dressed literally as candy canes like that's why the simplest one um and then um martha may looks kind of like a strawberry like it's kind of like a strawberry it's like a ball gown strawberry but her ha- her hair is like presents her mm-hmm. hair looks like presents um and then like it's funny you know of course the cop is made he has donuts on him um there's like a wide range um i think one person was supposed to be um one one woman is literally dressed like a um uh a fruitcake yeah i missed that yeah that's why i say there's so much to look at in this movie like the designers had a field day with this movie yeah and i i like that like they made so many crazy bold choices i'll have to pay attention next time and i I can't the only thing i could think of for the jubilation scene for why they did this Mm -hmm. besides differentiating and seeing in the time is is one they probably wanted to show like um this is actually a major celebration and so Mm -hmm. we're going to do something special for this um but I think it really plays into this like playfulness of the Who's and and the Doctor Who story in general. Mm, okay, you know it's like I think people usually dress up fancy mm-hmm. for events, but the Who's dress up 
on theme as like food yeah and it's all christmas based obviously but um i obviously don't know for sure yeah but it, it, i like it because it works yeah other people apparently have picked it up on it picked up on it too and mentioned yeah. it so i'm sure there was something i mean come on with all the creativeness behind it <laughs> someone came up with the idea i don't know that it's a it's a I want to go look at like the original costume designs, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it's a good movie. I, I I grew up with this movie. I watch it all the time. I can probably quote almost this whole movie. Um, oh, another deleted scene, last one that I remember early on. Um, the dad mm-hmm. before the post office scene. Um, he. So I guess what happens in, the, and I feel like I like this more because I feel like it makes the timeline make more sense. Mm-hmm. In the original version that we watched, the um, so the Grinch comes down, um, and then Cindy Lou is out shopping with her dad, right? Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. how you meet her. And she goes out and she's like, "I'm just getting so kabobbled. Isn't this so superfluous?" Which I love because she's a child. Um, and then the, the the brothers come back and and you meet the mayor and. Um, you, you find out the town is scared of the Grinch. Mm-hmm. And so she learns that the Grinch is is scared is scary to everybody, but she doesn't know why. Yeah. And and so it cuts directly to them in the post office, and she's asking about the Grinch. Mm-hmm. And the dad's like, why do you want to know about the Grinch? Who cares about the Grinch? You know? Yeah. Um, anyways, but in the deleted scenes, it, there's a moment where it shows her right after the moment where they leave the mayor and everybody, where she asks him about the Grinch and he basically tells her you don't want to know about the Grinch Mm. and so he's like come on we got to get you to school and then it cuts um, I can't remember the timeline but it cuts to her in school waiting for him I read about this one yeah oh it's so funny and it shows the teacher um, and she's like super creepy as a teacher (laughs) and she's like sit down Mm. and she like makes the dad sit in a a child's desk and he gets stuck Mm -hmm. and she's like your daughter said the the most horrible thing. I can't even say it, right? And mm-hmm. and Cindy Lou Who says, and it does a flashback while she's talking, right? And she says, "All I said is for my book for my uh, my research paper. I want to talk about the Grinch." And then as she says the Grinch, the blinds on the window flop up, <laughs> and all the kids look over scared. That's funny. And and um, I can't remember. I think it's either the dad or Cindy. In, in like when it's back into the normal time mm-hmm. say so like you want to talk about the Grinch and it does it again the blinds go up again <laughs> and so it's clearly just a comedic moment but it, it does show that she's interested and she and it, it, it kind of plays into this uh, investigative side of her you know yeah yeah because then it leads into her literally interviewing people did I have a crush on the Grinch <laughs> of course not she's like I didn't ask you that yeah <laughs> some of the best lines it's funny. So overall, should we wrap it up? Sure. I, right. I mean, is there anything else that you want to talk about? Nope. Or... I'm done. <laughs> again, we won't talk about the Benedict Cumberbatch version. <laughs> but again, if for whatever reason it's widely popular and everybody decides they really want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. I'll, I'll, I'll force myself to watch it. <laughs> it's not the worst. It's just, it's forgettable. Mm, okay. Yeah, I'm I not... definitely don't like their version of "You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch." I'll just say that. Oh, okay. Oh, let's say that. I love the updated version of "You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch," which he sang. Yes, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey sang. sang. Yeah. yeah. 
and like it's like super jazzy and, mm-hmm. um and i like that it's before he goes out and does it because mm. oh, in, the the, in, the, in the animated version when, when they wrote it it was like a everything. montage of mm-hmm. like him doing all the, the stuff yeah the stealing the toys and things but in this version again they're expanding it's showing him preparing to mm-hmm. hit, like he's making the sleigh and yeah and stuff and which is funny but it's a montage over that yeah yeah it's this preparation mm-hmm. airbags a little slow <laughs> so overall if you had to rate this 10 the best and um one being I will I wish I never saw this uh, like 10 is like I want to watch this all the time like I'm so happy yeah I know I'm not life. going there <laughs> so I don't know I guess I would give it like I'm prepared because you gave you gave me some surprise answers in the past I would give it maybe maybe a, a a six okay okay yeah that's a d <laughs> yeah all right i'm surprised for the live action okay for clarifying sure mm-hmm. i mean okay if then what about your the animated one? Oh, it's like a nine okay amongst christmas specials yes mm-hmm. i <sighs> again i i really struggle to give anything a 10 because <laughs> you get you, know, you have to give room for improvement. Mm-hmm. I feel like as soon as I give something a ten, I'm going to come across something else. That I'm like that should have been a ten, mm-hmm. but this is clearly better or something, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I think the animated version. I'll give a nine. Okay. Because there's definitely a few moments that I'm like, eh. But yeah. ov- but overall, it's like this was amazing. Like I love the songs. I love what they did with it. Um the jim carrey version i really want to say it's a 10 but but i'm going to be honest and i'll give it an eight okay and that's that's me like really really not <laughs> not wanting to give it a like really wanting to give it a 10 because i, I think it's amazing mm-hmm. but also trying to be fair because mm. i did grow up with this and i think it's spectacular but i'm also trying to look at it from a storytelling standpoint and like it's definitely it definitely has some moments that are not as strong, mm-hmm. um, and I said a little more contrived, but but overall, I think the choices they made and the the risks that they took, mm-hmm. like this movie could have been a flop very easily, and it was not. Yeah, according to according to the reviewers, they're surprised. Yeah. Um, Quick question, I, I just out of curiosity, are are you a fan of Elf? That okay. That's what's funny is Elf is one of the very few movies by Will Ferrell I like, mm. and it's because he's not his usual Will Ferrell. Okay, which is why I think I like it. Mm. I don't really like Will Ferrell's humor. Yeah, I'm not a big fan either. Um, I like him in Elf, and ooh, it's the other one he did. That's I don't remember. There's another one he did that I I like, but. I'm very picky with his films. Mm, okay. I cannot stand most of his films. And I met someone who loves all of his films, mm-hmm. like the Ballad of Ricky Bobby and stuff. And I was like, this says a lot about you. And 
I really don't know how to proceed anymore. <laughs> like that was yeah. their favorite movie. Wow. And I was like, I know a lot of people who, okay. who really like that movie. I've never seen it. I don't like it. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's like if middle school and college met. Yeah. <laughs> I can already tell you, I know a lot of our, there's a handful of our audience who are Jim Carrey and. People. Why do you ask me about Elf though? So, so I was curious because I, I I saw Elf for the first time. Maybe gosh, about you five... really haven't seen popular movies. Yeah, no, I, I was, remember I'm a contrarian, or I was clearly. And so I saw it for the first time maybe six years ago, seven years ago, something like that. Okay. And That's, it was okay. before, it was right before COVID. I know that much because I saw there was like someone at work let me the, a couple movies to watch, and that was one of them. Did you like it? I did. I like it because it really feels like the was it i can't remember their name rinskin bass or whatever like the like the rudolph the red-nosed reindeer oh yes yes like it's purposefully meant to be yeah like that i i it was one of those movies i didn't want to like just like this one but i ended up enjoying it uh i did you know that zoe deschanel in that movie yeah yeah i did not know that for the longest it time is. because her hair is blonde mm-hmm. yeah and and I didn't want to like it. And the only times I didn't care for it too much is when he was a little too much Will Ferrell for me. Yeah. But other than that, it was an enjoyable movie. And so, but it was because, I, the reason I brought it up was because I felt like the movie toned him down. And so it was a slightly... So you, you think like the Jim Carrey version? Yeah. like it was. They kind of did the same thing with these two actors. Well, because I will say... Movies more so I will Jim say Carrey. in this version he's definitely not sexual mm. like I think the only thing that was kind of sexual is when he he basically suggests that Whoville kiss his butt oh yeah when he puts the mistletoe down he says kiss it <laughs> <clears throat> but other than that like and then there's that part where he has the mayor um, kiss Max's butt <laughs> which apparently some people were very angry about and I'm like it's a fake dog you're fine yeah but anyways, <clears throat> like, I'm pretty sure the film is not condoning that. <laughs> yeah. It's humor. Yeah. But, you know, humor is not for everybody. There's different types of humor. It's definitely the grossest part of the film. But no. I, so I think the other reason I was curious is because since Elf is considered a Christmas classic. It is a modern Christmas classic. As is uh, the Grinch. This, uh, version, this yes. version of the Grinch stole Christmas. So I was curious as to your your take on that one as well because like once again when i go back and i'll watch my christmas movies these two will probably not be on my list i will say this one is higher than the elf though i would have to agree with you on that one i'd be more inclined to watch this one i would i will say if only because i think the themes are better in this one and Mm. because i like that it has really nothing to do with santa okay like i like that it has deeper themes than santa Mm mm-hmm like in Elf, it's fine, it's whatever, but it's this idea of Christmas, like belief in Santa. Yeah, is what is needed in that film. Yeah, I think I think I just I've never understood why people love Elf so much. It's like, funny, it's endearing. It is, and when I finally watched it, I was like, okay, yeah. I get and it. And the practical but... effects. Have you watched the behind the scenes for that? No, like, you watch a lot of I, behind the scenes. I, I like I like <laughs> to know how things are made. I like to know how people do what they do. Mm. that's why i'm a history major but if you watch that they used a lot of old school film techniques like mm. forced perspective 
and yeah. stuff. So like all the stuff in Santa's workshop with mm-hmm. the elves and stuff, and how he looks bigger than everybody else because they're played by real people. I'm gonna, from now on, I'm going to try to start watching when we watch movies. I'm going to for some of them, I want to watch behind the scenes because I feel like when I watch behind the scenes, it helps me helps endear the movie a little bit more once yes. I I know a little bit more about the process and things. Like that, that usually what happens. Yes, that happened. Oh, I don't know if you how you feel about this movie, but one movie I I grew to love, which I didn't care when I first saw it, and the behind the scenes helped me was uh, Nacho Libre. <laughs> I, I don't like Nacho Libre. I, know, I figured you might not. And originally, he, oh, he's the other one. Jack Black is one of the people that I'm very picky with his movies. Mm, yeah, I'm I not loved big. him in School of Rock. I've never seen that one. It's good. It's is really it? good. Yeah, I'm not a big Jack. Black I loved in him in Shallow How. Shallow How is such a good movie. It's really heartfelt. It's it's a comedy, but it's still very heartfelt. Actually, I don't think it's, I've seen it's a lot probably of his like one of his like lesser crazy mm-hmm. movies. Because he's done a lot of crazy movies. Yeah. Um, I liked him in Be Kind Rewind. But I never saw it. I saw the Christmas one. I'm not one. surprised you haven't seen Be Kind Rewind. But um, it's more like a cult classic. Okay. Yeah, I saw the one he, Christmas one he was in. Which one? He was with like four other actors. Or three other actors, sorry. Um, helping me. The Holiday. Oh, that movie's fine. What's whatever. <laughs> I. Yeah. Not your cup. I don't want to talk about that one. <laughs> It's fine. It's not the worst. It's just, it's not. It's formulaic Christmas uh, romance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, in general. Okay, I'll say this and I'm going to lose people on this one. Um, what's that stupid one everybody loves? The one with like a billion people in it. The Jack Black? No. Oh. It's a British film. Oh! The one with um, Hugh Grant and all, yep. and, and Emma Professor Thompson Snape, and yep, yes, yeah. What's that one? I watched it for the very first time last Christmas. Christmas is in the title, I think. I know which one you're talking. It's like about. where all their stories are supposed to be together, mm-hmm. but when you watch it, you're like, none of these stories had to be together. <laughs> like basically, this was just seven different stories that were not fleshed out the way they could have been because you felt like you had to put seven stories together. Yeah. I know what movie you're talking about. I, I would watch it if someone has it on and no, watch it I with won't. people. I but won't. I otherwise I, I watched it once and I watch felt it. like I just like lost a year of my life. <laughs> and I was so upset because these the only thing that makes that movie good is the mm-hmm. fact that it has so many big names in it. Yeah. I feel like if that movie was if that was like a homework movie or anything else, like nobody would watch it. <laughs> We, yeah, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. I, I, I did not like that one. So going back to the Grinch, no, I was just like I said, I'm curious. I was just curious as to how you feel about the the other kind of all time big contemporary film. Christmas movie, Elf. And so I can't think of another modern Christmas movie that has come out in the last ten years that can hold a candle to this like what would be 10 years like what is gonna what's what's like in the last 10 years what is another modern christmas classic is it only 10 it's more than 10 years old isn't it no no the grinch came out 23 years ago okay. but the but elf came out about oh oh elf yeah, came yeah. Out maybe like 15 yeah in in no i i agree because everything i'm thinking of right now is older than that looking up one right now this one was 1990 yeah it's older what are you thinking of uh, just think christmas big christmas movies that came out the last 10 years you know yeah no i can't think of anything 
So final thoughts. Final thoughts. I'm I'm glad I finally was able to watch the the movie. Um, I'm I will gladly watch it with those in my household who want to watch it, or our family members, or even friends. But um, it's definitely not on my must see list every Christmas. Uh, I will continue to watch the animated one. In yeah, that's my thoughts. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not coming across anything that I think will like stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. I will agree with you. It was better than Elf. Hmm. Sorry for all those who like Elf more. I like Elf. Yeah, but The Grinch is better. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Man, there's just a bunch of nonsense made. In oh, favorite characters. character. We didn't do favorite character. I was leading up to that. Oh, okay. So, what's your favorite character in the? Okay. Do you want to do the book or do you want to just do the animated because it's basically the same? Yeah, we'll do it's basically the same. Do the animated then. What's your favorite character in the animated? My favorite in the animated is definitely the Grinch, but really? I think it, it's because of Boris Karloff's oh. narration and voice. Look, oh my gosh. I'm literally looking at Google and the thing that pops up is it, it, it knows me because I was looking up Dr. Seuss stuff. Mm-hmm. I hate that. It says, man catches fish that looks like a creature out of a Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> That is weird. I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like it was painted. <laughs> it does not look real. Anyways. Um, okay, so the Grinch and it, because of Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what about the live action? Max. Really? Yeah. It's so random. <laughs> because he's endearing? Or? I, I like the way they fleshed his character out. Yes. I mean, it's kind of a toss-up like, in the animated between Max and the Grinch. But... They did expand him in both. Yeah. I like that he has more of a conscience in the animated one. I mean, the live action one. Yeah. I like that. Like he's kind of the one that he, like he's loyal. He's trustworthy. Like mm-hmm. he stands by the Grinch, but he also like calls him out on his stuff. Yes. Like yeah. I, love, I love the, the, um, the eye side glance, mm-hmm. you know, in the animated version, my favorite character is Cindy Lou Who. Okay. And I, I there's really no reason why. Um, <laughs> I think as a kid, I just always liked Cindy Lou Who in the animated mm-hmm. version. She's cute. She's endearing. I like that you get to see her early on in like the Fahu Forest number, mm. where she's kind of like swinging on the arms of like I'm assuming her family. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've always found her endearing in in that version. Um, that's about it. <laughs> I really don't know why. There you go. Yeah, she's my favorite in that. All right. <laughs> in the live action version my favorite character is Martha Mayhuvier okay I can see that Christine Baranski mm-hmm. is amazing she's so funny she's just got she her character is just so funny like she's she's a relatively simple character mm-hmm. but she's so memorable mm-hmm. and she's got some of the best lines other than the Grinch <laughs> <laughs> and I don't. I don't know. I think she's just a very interesting character. Um, she is. She's not one sided. Like mm-hmm. you, you get to see. Like I think part of the reason why I like her is because she always likes the Grinch. She's never scared of the Grinch. She doesn't ridicule the Grinch mm-hmm. um, ever. Yeah. In the movie, um, and I like that you get to see her feel bad for him in mm-hmm. the film. Like she's one of the only characters that actually felt bad for the Grinch, mm-hmm. um, which I like. Yeah. Um, and I think. 
Christine Baranski just does a really good job with being evocative, like in mm-hmm. her voicing and her facial expressions. Yeah. But she's also capable of comedy. Mm-hmm. Like in the movie, like when the Grinch like blows up the tree basically and she had just fainted, yeah. she goes, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's funny, you know, it's mm-hmm. simple, but it's funny. Um, I don't know. Again, I always forget it's Christine Baranski because the makeup, but mm. um, I'm watching The Good Wife right now because I'm really behind on television and I don't care for what's modern. <laughs> <laughs> and she's in it. And every time she's on, she's just compelling. Mm. And I think she's just one of those actresses that she doesn't steal the scene. Yeah. But your eye is just drawn to her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's just something charismatic, I guess, about her. Everything I've seen her in, I've always, I've always been like, I like her. Maybe it would help you. She was in one of the episodes of my favorite show that you don't like. Which show is this again? Psych. I just couldn't get into it. But she plays a. I would watch that episode. It's it's a it's a good episode. She plays the wife of a. I just can't stand the two main characters. How am I going to watch a show where I can't stand (laughs) the two main characters? I know. I've had so many people tell me you would love this show for this reason and this reason. I'm like, you're right. I would if it was just for that. (laughs) But it's the two main characters I can't stand. I know. I know you don't. You're not a fan. But yeah, no, no, she's a good character in in the in the movie. Um, Overall, like I said, it was it was a good movie. Uh, It will if it's on or someone's watching it, I'll definitely watch it again. Great. I think now is a perfect time to talk about our favorite game. What type of adaptation is this uh and if you have not listened to our podcast before please check out our trailer where we talk about what is an adaptation i came up with four different types of adaptation that we will be talking about in this podcast the first is faithful to source material the second is expanded third is artistic and the last is message driven and i think first of all let's talk about the 60s adaptation of how the original christmas so i think in that one it's fairly faithful to the source material mm-hmm. i mean they did make some changes here and there from of course they added music and stuff but for the most part there wasn't much difference I, you know i i, I agree but it, it i feel like it's expanded i could see that yeah i mean it is expanded you know what no i i'll agree with you it's faithful to the source material because it's not that much expanded no. it, they really just filled in some of the gaps mm-hmm. like they wrote the songs and you got to see a little bit of how he stole the toys and stuff but yeah you know they didn't really add much to the story it's just they showed you what the story already said yes so i okay i agree with you it's it's faithful to source material and they might have expanded on the yeah just slightly expanded right yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay and then all right i know what you're gonna say for the jim carrey (laughs) version okay well it's definitely faithful to source material well that's the biggest lie i've heard today message driven even i wouldn't have said that <laughs> no was, oh you think it's message driven i think it's very message driven. oh you know what I, okay but tell me why so as we've talked about some of the messages that are coming across whether it's the the whole uh thing about christmas being too commercialized too commercialized right and then there's uh the whole don't you know the, the bullying aspect and all that stuff I, I feel like 
Okay, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's completely. <laughs> I like I like to watch you struggle. <laughs> because I I think as I talk. Sure. So yeah, I think it's I a, hope you it's, do. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird. It's a no. I don't think it's weird. I think it's a nice blend of expanded, but also message driven. Okay. And, and as I'm thinking it through right now, as I'm kind of going through the movie in my head, I will say it leans a lot more towards expanded than it does message. But so sure. if I have to put them in order, it would be expanded first, message driven second. Right. They're conjoined twins. More <laughs> or less, yeah. I think you have more to have one with the other. Twin. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> No, I, I agree with you. I I wouldn't have thought of message driven actually until mm, you said it. Okay, uh, I I can see that because I mean it's message driven, but it's message driven in a way that it's not. Pretty the sure. only reason why I don't want to say it's message driven is because it's still the same message of the original story. Did the first one? The, first, the original story didn't really talk about commercialization, though. Uh, a little it was subtle. But yeah, that was the right, point. Right. That it, was the point was of the subtle. book, though. Doctor Seuss said that was the point. Okay, so it would be the same message. Yeah, it was just, just it was just exaggerated. Yeah, you're right. And in that case, it would be an expanded an expansion of the original message. Yeah, I, I do mm. I do agree with you though. I think it is expanded where changes and addition there were additions and omissions that were mm. made to highlight the themes or the the characterizations and the world building, oftentimes used when streamlining shorter adaptations. True, very true. <laughs> so I definitely agree with you, but I think. You, I, you have won me over a little bit in that it is slightly message driven if only 25% if it leaned more into the message than the original one did yeah yeah sure otherwise it's expanded definitely is right cool okay I, I like that you gave your rating right yeah you did I so, did cool. I did I want to change it to a 9 <laughs> you can before we wrap up Ugh. I gave something else a nine, so I feel like I have to give this one a nine. What did they give a nine? Coraline? I think it was Coraline. Oof. You know, I have to stick with an eight. Okay. I think Coraline was a tighter knit story. Mm. I, I I don't think Coraline did anything for just comedic purposes and and I don't think anything was really contrived in Coraline. So I feel like I have to give this one an eight. Okay. Point five. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there we have it. 8.5. All right, shall we wrap up? I feel better now. <clears throat> Glad you were able to get that. Yeah, I think that's it. I think we covered everything. Cool. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, again, I'm sure there's things we missed. Yep. I always think of them the next day. Mm-hmm. But this is great. I, this was fun. This is one episode I've been looking forward to for a very long time. I'm waiting for the episode where you're introducing me to something. Because so far, I feel like I've been introducing you to a lot of things. Yes, you have. Which I'm fine with. The world needs to know what First, know, you have to but, like something that I like. And like, then, but like, we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll figure it out. Comic books. All right. Well, thanks for listening. <laughs> An adaptation. There we go. Oh, how would you know? <laughs> There's actually a lot we could do in adaptation. That's what scares me. Novels, That's what too. scares me. Mm-hmm. It's too much. They retcon everything. <laughs> they do. Like, which version would we talk about? No. It's a rabbit hole. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, All right. This is like a major uproar, like uproar, where everyone's like, "You have to do it." Then maybe, but yeah, actually, I could, we could bring on a, that, that, that a guest means, host. That means we have to have an audience, though. <laughs> yes. Anyways, thank you for listening to this episode. Yes. We hope you enjoyed it. And I don't know if this is going to air before Christmas, after mm-hmm. Christmas, at Christmas. So Merry Christmas if you celebrate Christmas. If you don't, Happy Hanukkah. Uh, the other holidays to me don't count. No offense. <laughs> And we lost her. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Don't edit that out. So let me restart that again.
So thank you for joining us for this Christmas no, episode. Just put it mouth, you know. <laughs> Wishing you a Merry Christmas or I'm if you don't celebrate this. if you don't celebrate, happy Hanukkah, uh, or whatever holiday you no, know, celebrate. And so um if you have any once again we'll you know, any any comments or anything else you want to add or anything we, we forgot, go ahead and add that to the um comments. Uh, you need to create a comment board first. Well, no, you know, like in when you add a review Spotify and doesn't stuff. have a comment section. Yeah, they do, don't they? No. No? No. Oh, then email us. <laughs> we'll have an email. So, uh, I mean, if you make us a Facebook page or something. That's an idea. I'm not doing that. You can do there. that. Yeah. We'll think about that. Upcoming episodes. That's true. A look back on episodes. That's true. Here's our sources. Don't say we didn't consult anything. <laughs> So thank you for joining us for that episode. Um, Which we will talk about later. Yes. So we'll see. We always play with the seat of our pants here, you know. Pretty much. All right. All right. Thank you. We always appreciate you listening. Um, every every listener counts. I know that sometimes we talk about things that maybe you're not interested in, and that's fine. Um, if you think of something that you want us to talk about, please let us know. We will consider it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not afraid to say no, but I'm also open to things, so... There you go. Yes. Thank you and Merry Christmas. This is our special. Yes. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Or every time. Whatever. You say that. Every time you say that. <laughs> All well, right. Yes. Take You'll care. hear us next time. Bye. <laughs> see ya. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Willing to Adapt. Please like and subscribe. Maybe leave a review or just share us with friends and family. We would also love if you would follow us on social media. If you have ideas for future episodes for us, please email us at Eric and Romy at willingtoadapt.com. That's Romy with an I. And remember, when the only thing constant in life is change, be willing, willing to, to adapt. adapt.